But like you said, now you give this one person, one organization influence. And it, it, the, the part is not about Arthur Blank. He, like you said, he could have the worst intentions. He could have the best intentions. He could want nothing. That's not the point. It's not even about him. Yeah. It could be anybody, right? right? right. If I gave, if I have 50 million and I gave it to you, I'll be like, bro, well, no, well, well, what's interesting, dude, is, is if that actually happened, if somebody like me came in yeah. and gave $50 million, I would huge red flag. I'd, I'd be torn apart. The media yeah. would tear this situation apart. Like, what the fuck? You can't accept $50 million like from Gary. You can't accept $50 million from 343. You can't accept $50 million from Elon Musk. You can't accept $50 million. You pick and choose anybody outside of the, group, of yep. the MLS That's a great point. group. And red flags all over the place. Bro, it would be a disaster right now. And a hundred million percent, they would be saying those specific words, conflict of interest, U.S. soccer. You cannot do this. This is a yep. conflict of interest because as a bank, Gary is going to have influence over you or Elon Musk is going to have influence over you and the court. So this is what, do we see it now, guys? Do you see why some of us might be raising an eyebrow and saying, Hey, can we ask some questions here? Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 343 Podcast, where we work tirelessly to elevate the level of discourse and practitionership here in American soccer. Today, I've got lifelong soccer practitioner and builder, Kefren Fuller, back on the line. He moved to Holland from the United States many, many years ago and currently helps players get exposed to and in some cases make the transition to European football. On September 15, News came out that an MLS owner, Arthur Blank, who operates the Atlanta franchise of MLS, was going to fund U.S. soccer with $50 million in order for them to build a national training center there in Atlanta. Kefren then posted the following on X. Quote, so does no one see the conflict of interest that an MLS owner is funding this national training center? End quote. That post got a number of reactions. On the one hand, there's an increasing number of folks who have been around the block here in American soccer circles for quite a while and have come to realize that MLS and the Federation are riddled with conflicts of interest. Some may even go as far as saying corruption. And some have come to the astute conclusion that MLS has, in practical terms, come to capture and control the Federation. Remember, the Federation. Its charter is to look out for the interest of all its constituents. And that means all parties here in American soccer, whether it be professional leagues, amateur leagues, amateur clubs, professional clubs, coaches, individual players, you name it, all the constituents, not just MLS. And so this post by Kefren does not surprise a growing number of people. But unfortunately, this post also triggered many folks particularly those who either haven't been deeply involved or worked in American soccer, or those who have been consistently absorbing crafted, favorable MLS narratives by MLS media for years, and of course, those who need or want to be in the good graces of MLS. An example of that would be MLS reporters, those who cover the game here in the States. In any case, the implications of an MLS owner funding this Federation project was to be our topic. And it starts in earnest a bit later into the episode, because, of course, we were flowing on a wide range of other topics. 
Per usual, you will get a hefty dose of perspectives you definitely won't get from the mainstream or elsewhere. I hope you enjoy and gain insight. But first, here are a few words on the products that sponsor this episode and will absolutely help you as a coach or as a parent of a player. Specifically for coaches, found at 343coaching.com. And the other, specifically for parents of youth players, found at 343masterclass.com. For coaches, this is a coaching program that I know, without hesitation, will greatly amplify your coaching capabilities and thus your teams, players, and yes, if you make or would like to make a living from coaching, your career in that as well. Why? How do I know these things? Because the creators of the program, namely us personally, 343, have been there and done that. From the lowest of levels to the very pinnacle of the youth level here in the United States. From the youngest of ages all the way to graduating an unprecedented number of professionals. The work of my brother Brian Kleiben helped bring about a seismic shift to the American soccer landscape. What many thought was not possible with American youth was shown to be possible. And through a series of online modules and lessons, you get to watch and listen in as he trains his actual teams in the actual training environment. He's not following any script. He's not using other people's players or teams. No, no, no. You get to see the actual practitioner in action in the real live environment. Since the inception of the program, thousands of coaches have leveraged the methodology and have had great success within their own contexts. Not to mention, cutting out the years of trial and error that so many of us coaches have to go through before learning some very hard lessons. So coach, get your butt over to 343coaching.com and get started. There are both free and premium programs for you available. Parents, for you guys, the program is at 343masterclass.com. We know it could be quite difficult, even frustrating, deciding how to best mentor and guide your kid through the American soccer landscape. Some might say hellscape. There are countless and never-ending questions preoccupying your mind. How good is my kid? Is he playing at the right club? Is he playing for the right coach? Is the grass greener if we were to make a change now? What should my kid be working on? At what age should X, Y, or Z be happening? Am I wasting our time and money? Why isn't my kid getting more playing time? Should my kid be playing up in age? Should I get a personal trainer? What exercise activities and drills can I have my kid do? Again, literally, countless and never-ending thoughts and questions. None of which, by the way, have definitive answers. Because unlike mathematics, the context and idiosyncrasies of your particular situation matter. So, how can parents best be helped then? The answer is education. Good education. Proper education about football itself. The more correct and fundamental things you know, the better discernment you'll have, and thus the better guidance and mentorship you can provide your kid. There's a reason, guys, a reason why so many top players have parents who were former pros or played at a high level. It's because they get it. They, they know what it takes. They have experience. The 343 Masterclass is a program designed to accelerate the growth of your base level knowledge, important knowledge, the critical stuff. Not the fluff, not the superficial stuff, the fundamentals, the things that matter, and it's practical. Not only are there fundamental activities and drills showcased for your kid to train with, but perhaps more important, 
are the lessons meant to increase your level of footballing discernment. Because without that, the advice and guidance you're giving your kid may not exactly be the best. So, okay, go to 343masterclass.com, get on the email list, and we'll send you the details. All right, let's get into today's episode. How you doing? Busy as usual, trying to get busier even. I always feel like a lazy son of a bitch, if I'm being honest. And <laughs> it's weird because, because the expectations are so high of myself of like, hey, I need to squeeze the juice out of every minute. And if I waste like half a day, which I do a lot of times, it's like, bro, like, man, you just wasted four hours. <laughs> You're like, what am I doing today? Now I understand. I understand. Every day, just trying to make a, a step in the right direction. But I guess there's a, I, and I don't know if you feel this too, but I know there's like, there's obviously a goal in mind, but it's not necessarily a, like, you know, there's like Mount Everest, here's the top. But I think for you, I'm just assuming. And I, I think for me as well, there's not necessarily a, a one specific goal. It's kind of like you got to keep pushing in all these different directions almost. Yo, that might be part of it is we have team members and a team and like focusing everybody on specific tasks is difficult. And there's this perpetual feeling of wanting to do everything yourself instead yep. of kind of relying and trusting others to, I don't know, do it and yep. do it well. Um, yep, yep. I, I still, I still haven't learned that dude. I still haven't. I, when, th when things don't get done or don't get done well, uh, in a timely way, my first instinct is fuck this. I'll do it myself. Like immediately, instead of trying to figure out how to manage the situation. And I mean, I've done it in the past. I've managed quote unquote, the situation and try to be more trusting and stuff, but it just doesn't fucking work. Maybe I'm just a terrible manager. <laughs> oh, we all, we all have our strengths, man. <laughs> we all have our weaknesses. So I, I don't know, Catherine. I'd like to believe that I'm not alone in these sorts of struggles, if that makes sense. Like I, I like to believe, you know, this whole notion of imposter syndrome and mm. how supposedly everybody has it from the very yep. highest of quote unquote successful people all the way down. I heard a story not too long ago about a Nobel laureate. He won the Nobel Prize in physics like four or five years ago, and it had to do with black holes. Mm -hmm. And he himself admitted like on a podcast that, that he felt imposter syndrome. And the interviewer was like, what are you talking about? You are at the pinnacle of the pinnacle. You have won the Nobel Prize in physics, one of the most difficult, extraordinary accomplishments ever. He's like, well, let me tell you a story. You know, they invited me to Sweden where they give out the award and I land there and I get to the gala or the party that they're going to have, the ceremony. And, you know, the organizers, this organization has existed forever. Um, the organizers kind of escorted me to this book to sign. Kind of like when you go to a wedding, you sign in on the, on the wedding book, you know, with all the guests yep. or whatever. But this particular book had the signatures of all the previous Nobel Prize winners in it. Mm -hmm. And so he cracks open the book and he's curious, right? So he starts scrolling through the pages and he sees all these giants. Obviously he comes across Albert Einstein as well. There's his signature, the authentic signature. And he, as he's perusing the names, he just felt more and more and more like an imposter. Like I shouldn't be here, you know, like mm. I'm actually not good. I actually don't know what I'm doing. 
uh, I stumbled upon this thing and I got lucky. All these sorts of things are crossing his mind. And he's sharing the story. And for me anyways, it's kind of nice to hear that sometimes from people who are on top of the mountain mm -hmm. because I struggle with this all the time. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And you reflect back and from the outside, it's like, oh, what are you talking about, Gary? You've accomplished this and this and this. But internally, you kind of are like, mm, but I could have done so much more. I could be doing so much more. And mm. when you're, if I may be so bold, when you're driving a mission forward or trying to accomplish things that haven't been accomplished before, there is no recipe, Catherine. There is no instruction manual that says, oh, if you encounter this circumstance, well, then just follow these steps and then you, it gets done. And then it's done. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. It doesn't yep. exist. Yep. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so since it doesn't exist for anybody, everybody's basically doing the best they can, not knowing what the outcome is going to be. Yeah. And so because of that, you feel kind of like an imposter, but it's natural. Anyway, the, my current struggles. No, I understand. I understand. Now that's, that's interesting that you say that. I think obviously we're all born with different tools and then you're in different environments. You have some of us have access, you know, being obviously, I, I think we're, we're blessed to be from the States as much as we, we criticize and want better for us soccer and, and better for, you know, essentially our nation to, to be in football. I think we do understand. I think we're blessed with the tools that we have. And I can understand the viewpoint that you're coming from. It's, it's saying like, what's your path? And is it a path that's been blazed before that you can just walk? No. Are there some examples that can help you? I think yes. And, and, and you know, I guess the, the beautiful thing about this thing is that it's a global football game. You know what I mean? There, there's just way more options. I couldn't imagine trying to do this to another sport, basketball or, or baseball, there other U.S. led sports where pretty much the, the mindset there is probably even worse. <laughs> you know, you can imagine because you don't have, uh, the great thing is that because we're not the best in this sport. We were able to point to examples and say, guys, don't you see, you know, it's a, you know, not to talk too much about basketball and stuff, but, you know, I, I think you maybe saw that little uproar about world champions and the, yeah. uh, the world championship. <laughs> you saw that and, and there's people's different reactions to it. And it's just, it's just funny to see the American mindset when it comes to global sports. You know, the thing that hurts me the most is that I have to watch the NBA finals and they have world champion on their head. World champion of what? <laughs> the United States? <laughs> Don't get me wrong. I, I love the US at times, <laughs> but that ain't the world. That is not the world. We are the world. We have almost every country out here fighting, thriving, putting on their flag to show that they are represented. There ain't no flags in the NBA. <laughs> I'm so thankful, at least with, with football, with soccer, that we have many more examples to, to choose from. Let's just say that. Yeah, well, what sucks too sometimes, and it's not just about football. I wasn't just strictly speaking about football. I was speaking about everything. What kind yep, of sucks yep. being an entrepreneur, period, or trying to do something new, period, or even in your own field, even if you're not an entrepreneur, trying to advance the state of things, such as like teaching. So I go yep. and I teach and great. Um, Nobody's there holding your hand as to how to teach this, that, or the other thing. And there's always room for improvement. And then 
nobody can tell you and hold your hand and tell you exactly how to level up. You mm -hmm. just have to figure it out on your own. And oh, the thing that sucks, Kef, is admitting and talking about these things. It's kind of frowned upon in many ways. And sometimes it's viewed or, or it could be a mistake because the, the marketplace will be like, oh, he, she just said that they don't know what they're doing or that they're making it up as they go along or they're doing the best they can. It kind of feels, or the incentive is always to kind of put on this amazing face. Like, no, I fucking know it all. I know exactly what I'm doing and yep. I'm steering this ship because I'm a fucking master. If that makes yeah. sense, you can't sit there and say, or express any sort of doubts. Yeah. Um, no, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think a lot of the people who, I think a lot of the people, the thing is that we see a lot of people are disingenuous. And what, what I mean from that is um, there's a human element that comes into a lot of what we're talking about, where when you're a human and you're trying to create something, you know, there's that trial and error moment and being able to accept that. And I think many people maybe conflate like having faith and belief in something doesn't mean that you can't be wrong or that you're always right. It just means that you have faith and belief in something that drives you to a certain purpose, that gives you a certain belief, that gives you a certain confidence that some people may take as arrogant and some people may take as, um, you know, everything. And then there's those who, yeah, I know we're going to talk about it here in a little bit, but there's those who know how to gain and keep power. And they're actually the, the real arrogant ones who don't want anything else to threaten that power or that control. So they kind of keep you, they, they keep everyone in this bubble, you know, like the, you know, let's take a simple one. MLS is the reason that the U S soccer is, uh, as big as it is now. And so someone at face value who maybe doesn't know is like, oh yeah, you know, without MLS, where would U S soccer be? So to me, that's the true arrogance because it's more about taking their knowledge and saying, okay, you should be thankful for us uh, even doing this. And I think a lot of what we talk about, we talk about, no, imagine if all of us could compete. Imagine if all of us could build. Imagine if all of us can create. And this is why this is shit right now, right? But our message doesn't come from us saying we should have power over the masses. Our message is always like, you should have the opportunity to look, to go further yourself, or, or at least have the opportunity, even if you don't want to, you should have the opportunity to do it. And theirs is more like, well, without us, you would be nothing, you know? Right. And then, so that's why we know what's best for U.S. soccer. So right. I think, and maybe you get this too, you know, cause I, I've seen over the years, like uh, Twitter and everything, I think at the beginning, you guys started red hot. I think a lot of people were like on the bandwagon and then you see kind of this backlash a little bit. Well, we're not sure about you guys. You guys think you know it all. And you know, this, no, I just think you guys are pushing for something that many are not pushing for that many are very comfortable in their space that they're doing. And it's something I told you, Gary, like you, I mean, I, I don't know if you remember, I think maybe you asked me like, why did I leave? You know, mm -hmm. I saw that there's either one or two things that was going to happen. Either I was just going to get burnt out of doing the same thing over and over again and staying in the same spot. Or I was just going to say, fuck it. I'm just going to make money. 
You know what I mean? Like, and I've heard that from so many guys who were way before me, who I consider coaches who are better than me. You know, I've seen these guys, you know, some of my OGs in coaching who are now mid forties, fifties, I've seen they've gone either that route. They're kind of done or they're like, man, I'm just here to, let me make my money. Let's not try to change anything. So that's one of the reasons I left. So I guess to say is that because we're builders and we're looking to do things in a totally different way, totally different mindsets, I, I wouldn't say it's imposter syndrome. I would say it's more, um, we have such a mindset that I don't think most people are not going to do that. Most people are going to do the tried and true way and definitely not, let's definitely not pissed off the ones who have, who control that pathway, if you get what I mean. Yeah. Well, don't get me wrong. It's not that I don't think I know what I'm doing or we don't think we know what we're doing. We believe we're head and shoulders above the vast majority in this space with respect to how to do good work and what is required to do the good work and how to execute on a whole host of things, whether it be helping players out, helping teams out, helping clubs out, building things ourselves. We think we are relative to others, okay? Relative to others in the space, we are top of the heap, top of the heap. And there's no question that whoever works with us is going to benefit enormously from that. So it's not that I don't believe those things. It's more so that since we feel, we know we are kind of at the cutting edge in many respects, pushing the envelope forward, that that presents challenges that incumbents don't have, right? That mm. presents that presents unknown territory that others in the space also don't really, haven't really explored. And or, frankly, it's scary to push into unknown territory. So, and, and we, and we can't look back or I can't look back. I can't turn the blind eye now, Kef, and be like, you know what? Cause you said we were red hot in the beginning, you know, and then people started fighting us, uh, a whole bunch of enemies. Right. And you know, the whole expression, first they ignore you, then they fight you, then they, you know, then you win sort of thing. So it's, mm -hmm. I view it in many respects, something like that. Um, I think I messaged this to you. It was a conscious decision on my part. We could have, from the very beginning, you know, when we were red hot, quote unquote, when that first video went viral of Brian's team, we yep. could have just played nice with everybody, played nice with US soccer, played nice with MLS, played nice with the reporters, and just let them use their distribution channels and amplify us and our business tenfold. Yep. And then mm -hmm. cashed in. Like I, this was, I knew this. This was, it was a conscious decision from my part to be like, nah, man, but then, then it's gone. The whole thing's gone. Like we, we aren't, we aren't going to be ourselves. I'm not going to, I'm going to speak for myself, Kev. I can't be myself at that point because mm -hmm. then you can't actually say the things that you want to say. You have to deny the reality that you see in front of you on a daily basis. and. It's hard to live with that, Kev, for what? So that we can have 10 times the, the money, you know, that we enjoy. So our business can be 10 times more. I mean, yep. surely yep. everybody has a price and surely there's a trade-off and maybe I should have gone that other route and then flipped or something, but then what kind of a person am I, you know, doing that? So these were all the ideas that were floating out around in my head back in 2012, 2013, 2014 sort of time yep. frame. And, you know, I just chose to, no, be myself. 
and speak my mind and not self-censor. And even with, you know, there's this phenomena of being held captive by your audience. So in other words, once you have an audience, then you don't really want to piss them off because, you know, then they'll leave you or your customers, then they'll leave you. Yeah, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And that was another conscious decision. I'm like, I am not going to be held captive by my audience. So a lot of people in our audience who love, quote unquote, loved what we were doing, but we actually were not aligned, meaning they thought I represented something that I actually did not represent. For instance, I'll give you an example that yeah. has been going on for years. You know, I, I post about Busquets and clearly Busquets is not a prototypical athlete. And, you know, we go down the whole best athletes route and how kind of I'm opposed to the best athlete sort of perspective yeah. here in the United States. And there's a lot of parents in youth soccer here who quote unquote love us and what we quote unquote represent because their kids are probably not athletic either because they echo those sorts of things. Yeah, my youth coach or yeah, our youth club is always picking the unskilled workhorse and my kid is amazing. He's Iniesta and Xavi-like and like he yeah. doesn't get elevated or whatever. So I understand why they cling on to what it is that I'm saying many times, but in my mind, and I see the rest of the things that they post, in my mind, it's like, you actually are not one of us because you're fighting for a freebie sort of from your kid and you're doing a political sort of angle. And the reality may very well be that your kid is just not good enough. I mean, frankly speaking, your kid is maybe is, and likely, likely not good enough to actually be playing. And by the way, you do have to have a certain threshold of athleticism. You have to yes. be athletic. You have to be able to run. You have to be able to do all these things, okay, to yeah. a certain base level. And if you're not to a, at least a certain base level, dude, you ain't making it. I don't care. It's not going to happen yeah. to you. That's yeah. number one. The question mm -hmm. now is, okay, what is the base level? So if we would look at the extreme, Sergio Busquets, base level, like can't run worth a shit, can't jump worth a shit or whatever. But okay, if you're going to be that type of athletic, your other stuff needs to be so fucking off the charts to actually make it. Yep. Your other stuff can't just be, oh, he's better technically and tactically than the other center mids, but, and that's it. No, no, no. It has to be well, so monumental, yep. so monumental that, okay, we're going to look the other way. I'm sorry, but Wes McKinney, you're not taking over Busquets' position in you know, this sort of yeah, thing. Yeah. It has to be off the fucking charts. Yep. Um, but if I say these sorts of things, Kef, you know, they're not going to like it. They're not going to like that. I'm basically saying your kid's probably not good enough and your kid probably doesn't have the base level athleticism to begin with. Yeah. You know what, Gary? I, I, I love that you just said this and kind of broke it down because like you said, I think even though if I look at our business, you know, we, we're obviously helping take players overseas. The thing that I leave with is exactly, exactly what you just said. Most of you won't make it to the levels that maybe you, that you see on TV, break down the numbers break down how many little boys, little girls now, especially with the, with the, the women's uh, world cup or whatnot taken off, how many people are really doing this. And so I always tell people like, take that in and then say, okay, if you still believe in yourself and you still want to do it and the player wants to do it, then fair enough, go for it. But if you're going there thinking that someone's going to give you a chance or someone feels that they need to give you a chance. 
that's just not the case. It's, it, you know, there, there's a certain, uh, and I get what you mean. There's a certain energy, I think, that comes with that, that, you know, you're obviously teaching development and, and all these things. You've seen so many players that you guys have, you know, we've talked about players before. We, me and you have talked about players. I, I've sent you videos of players. You sent me videos of players and we're going, like, oh, you know, what about this guy? Can this guy do this? And we're contacting clubs on both sides. And the club is like, yeah, he, did, he does this, but this. Yeah, he does this, but this. Most of it, even from my career, I remember back in the day, most of it, they look at everything negatively. You know what I mean? They're trying to find ways to say, ah, you're not good enough. It could be anything. Your ball striking. Uh, oh, he plays well to the 60th minute. Um, his transition, whatever, whatever may, may come about it. And it's like just getting that mental fortitude part right. You know, like it's, it's great reading those stories on the Players Tribune. I like that they're doing a lot of the soccer players. I, I've seen a, a couple on on some, obviously Enzo Fernandez. They just recently had one of Rafinha talking about like mental fortitude. I think a lot of the players that, that or a lot of the people that we were talking to are from the suburban background. And um, I would say this, the suburban background, especially the U.S. version of it, is the worst background to come from to try to make it in pro soccer. Things are too easy in your life. It is the worst one to come from. Like that's actually the biggest battle that your kid has to overcome that all the shit in the world ain't going to be done for them. And people yeah. don't really care about who they are when they show up. You know what I mean? I've heard things like, oh, the coach didn't really want to talk and we did this and, and we've, we paid money for this. I'm like, they don't care. <laughs> they just don't care. You know, it's not, uh, um, it, it, it's, it's in that part is like, I think it's, it's hard for sometimes for people to grasp because like I said, culture, you, we come from a culture of the parents are paying. So they expect some kind of return, but, and because you're paying, you're like, okay, I want that return. But where I'm like, that just doesn't work here. And it's not going to get you very far. And you almost have to tell your kid, are you willing to eat shit? Are you willing to be on your own? Are you willing to do all this stuff? Are you willing to suffer? You know, all these things. Are you willing to give up all these things to then even get a shot and maybe play third division? Yeah, correct. And just, and just, get, and just maybe the club will feed you and maybe house you. And, and that's about it. Maybe, maybe, maybe mm -hmm. don't take it from, oh, my kid can dribble. He can do this. He can do that. They're looking for a host of things to disqualify you. Like, no, no. Kev, this is an Im incredibly important point that high level scouting, and this is how we would even scout here in youth soccer in the United States, because obviously we, of our ambitions and goals and what it is that we wanted to build. Yep. When you're scouting at that sort of level, yep. you're not looking at, oh, this kid has potential. Maybe if we brought him in here and then worked with him, you know, we can make him into something, you know? No, you don't have time for that shit. And most of the time it doesn't work either you are actually focused on the bad stuff. You yep. are actually trying to find, okay, where are this guy's flaws? Oh, look, he doesn't even fucking scan the field. Oh, look, he didn't even track back and he doesn't, he can't recognize that our team, this particular counterattack is dangerous and he should be flying back on defense right now. Oh, look, blah, 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 blah. Like you are zoomed in, hyper zoomed in on the bad shit. Like how you said, what disqualifies you? That is what you're yep. looking at. Even the subtlest of things, like body language. You come out, yep. body language is, is poor, is not professional or whatever. Toast, out, scratch, zero, mm -hmm. peace. 
And to echo your suburban thing that the suburban player, you know, the whole culture or whatever, I would even start contending that almost if you come from this country in the soccer period, even if you aren't an affluent uh, family, even if you don't have a nice home and pay $5,000 or $10,000 a year for football or whatever, even if your family is quote unquote poor here in the States, I would even argue that they still have that suburban soccer culture slash mentality, at least the kids, maybe not the parents, yeah. but the kids. Because I, the fact of yep. the matter is, Kev, even if your parents are poor or in an apartment and shacked up in a small cubby hole or whatever, you can st you're still going out and having your in and out. You're still going out and hanging out with your friends. You're still going and like you're not in the streets. You know what I'm saying? With rats and cockroaches crawling over you. You are going to survive, you see? Yep. And even if you don't have money, somehow, some way you hustle a little bit and scrap up just enough and maybe you buy yourself a pair of Balenciagas. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, like, I'm dead serious. People who yep. barely have any money here. And so, yeah, I would even contend that that even is quote unquote suburban um, yeah. or, or have the same sort of mentality. Cause, cause they'll be fine. If they fail, ah, if I fail at this pro soccer thing or don't, I'll get a job. Yeah, I'll, I'll get, I'll get a job. Think about right, it. There There's go. some people there who, who, who don't have access to jobs that we're, you know, that we're talking about. Like they don't have access. Like, okay, what is really going to happen? This is okay. This is it. You know, I, I'm going to be able to get a job. I want to be able to function. I, I had a kid, I had it. Had a player, very talented player from South America that moved there at seven years old. And I was moved to America at seven years old. And I was like, oh my gosh. And I was trying to push, when he was 15, I was trying to push this kid to Monterey because I had a good contact in Monterey. And uh, the parents, uh, that straight from Bolivia, uh, that was during the time that, you know, a lot of the cartel stuff was in the news. And they were like, no, can't go. And I was like, bro, but I was like, you got to get out of here because he was at DC United at that point. And he was a 10 and they were trying to, you know, he's a pure 10. Coach was trying to play him left back. I'm like, this is not a left back. You know what I mean? Regardless, coaches can have disagreements, but this is way off base. But um, even him, you know, I looked at his life and he's doing well and everything, but he, he's doing well. He's good. He's, yeah. he's content. You know, he didn't have to make it. He loved football, but he didn't have to make it. And, and like you said, it's like that cultural piece. And you know what's interesting? I think about, and this is why I find so interesting, the old suburban crew, right? Your Brian McBrides, DeMarcus Beasley, even Landon Donovan, right? Mm -hmm. I'll say this, because they did not have the safety net of the MLS, it was just starting, right? And, you know, they couldn't, you know, I think we talked about this. It's like, they didn't have the money. The money wasn't like what it is even now, you know, and the yeah. stability wasn't it, what it is now, it right? Those guys had a chip on their shoulder that in a mindset and they were grinders. They're like, man, if I really want to play, you know what I mean? If I really want to play and make this a career, I have to make it over there. So Dempsey, I have to make, and you know, he came from a little bit of that hood street mentality, you know, Oguchi Onweyu, you know, think about it. Uh, you know, I don't think he came from a, he came from a suburban background. So those guys, and I was talking with a buddy of mine, I think 10, 15 years ago, those guys had a way bigger fighters mentality than what's coming through Agreed. now consistently. I mean, listen, I respect all the guys who are, are doing it over there, over here, you know, Bullisich, McKinney, everybody, all of them, Adams, all those guys. But I would say as a whole, it's like after those guys, I think there's a drop off in that mentality a little bit. 
And I think those guys that we're talking about, I mean, even Beasley and Donovan in the U-17 World Cup winning Golden Ball and Silver Ball, that's crazy. You know what I mean? And just being, you know, I think Beasley played in the Champions League semifinal before Christian won it, obviously, with Chelsea. But, like, people don't talk about DeMarcus Beasley like they should in our country. Yeah, yeah. You know, just in terms of, you know, like, how they were grinding or how, like, Dempsey, you know, all of them, Winalda, Winalda, Hugo Hugo Perez, all those fools, you know, Ernie Stewart, well, Ernie's Dutch. Okay. So uh, different, but yeah, that whole crew, Kobe Jones, all these guys. And and we sometimes like to make fun of the old generation, not we personally, I'm saying we as in the American public or something as if they were sort of scrubs or something, but you are a hundred percent on point. They had a fire that at scale here in modern day, I don't really see because I think there are too many safety nets, Kef. I really do. Even the existence of USL is almost like a safety net for so many guys who don't have the mentality because it's like, ah, I guess if I don't make it in MLS, I can can always be somebody in USL. I've actually seen that, um, Mm -hmm. Kef, which is is crazy talk, crazy talk. Yeah, I don't yeah, know where I, you're going with that, man. But the older generation, dude, deserves a hell of a lot of credit. And you know what sucks is since the money wasn't there back then, that all those guys have to work today mm. to make a living as opposed to the current generation who, who happened to make it to like the senior men's national team, that caliber of player. Mm-hmm. They're going to be able to leave football and not have to work or not have to, you know what I mean? They're, they're going yeah, to be able to understand what to do. Yeah, no, a hundred percent. And of course they, they paved the way. And I think what's interesting, and this is why I hope U.S. soccer, we, you know, I would have those guys, I'll have a lot of those guys involved in different levels throughout the system. I think Gucci is, is, is doing some things now with the system. I have those guys, but yeah, I think that cultural, that piece needs to be there. And, I, and this is what these parents need to hear. Cause I think right now the sexy thing is go to Europe. You know, that's why I hear, oh, we're going to Europe. We're going to Europe. Great. You get out there. Now get ready for the dog fight. Now you have to make it. I don't think we have enough societal pressure as well. Um, because if you don't have the, you know, maybe you don't have the familial pressure or the, the, like you need pressure to show that you're going to be something that you want to be something that where people are like, oh, you know, you want to be something in the football world. I don't see that. I hear about all these names and when I know we're going, we're going in different directions, but I guess we're just letting it flow, but I'll I'll, I'll bring it back. I'll bring it back after you finish your thought. Okay, so I'll, I'll say this, like, okay, we have this generation of Pulisic, McKinney, Adams, right? And let's take the dual nationals out. Who is coming through? Who's the second wave? Who's the third wave that is really doing anything worth anything? Yeah, yeah. And I don't think people are analyzing. You know, I, I'm seeing online that people are having arguments about Balogun and Greg Bolter, and I'm like, yo, the dual nationals are the only thing that's, that's keeping this thing afloat after that generation, you know, after, yeah. you know, Pulisic Adams and those guys, but like after those guys, it's like, who's next. And I'm keep hearing all these names and I'm like, what have you proven? Like, what are you saying? Like every day or every day we can read up on the next French players that are coming through, right. Brazilian players that are coming through. Hey, Spanish, did you hear about this guy coming through? And then not only do they, you hear about them coming through, they jump into the men's league and they tear shit up. Yeah. Age 16. They, 16, 17, 18, just come in and, you know, and then we're like, and I'm like, where does this guy come from? Like Wolves, I mean, Wolves played a game yesterday. Can't remember the guy's name as a midfielder, 
Bellari or something. Because, you know, they sold Nunez to the city. French guy. Never even heard of him. And everyone was like, it seems like Wolves got the better of that deal. This guy looks like he's better potential than Nunez who just left. And it's like, when we start to really realize how competitive things are, it puts everything in perspective. And I'll say this as a last point. If you're a parent of a suburban soccer player, don't ever complain. I would not complain about the coaches and what they're doing and all that stuff. I remember one of the biggest, one of the things for me is that my mom wouldn't have me complain about coaches and all these people, even if they're the worst. And you know, back then, I mean, I'm coming up the, the work. You're talking about, you're talking about 11 v 11 at U9, full pitch, you know, I had the worst, the worst of the worst. But I would say that we grew up with a certain mindset to overcome. And I would say a lot of the, the, you don't, everything that you say and you do, you feed, you can feed excuses. Yeah, for sure. Mm-hmm. This coach is shit. Okay. He shit. Doesn't matter. You want to be on the field, right? What do you got to do to get on the field? Then you're just training something different and you're allowing the kid to take more control rather than just being subject to someone else having control over it. You're going to meet, you're going to meet shit bosses, shit people your whole life you're still going to have to figure out a way to be in control of, of your own destiny. So that's just some, that's just a message that I would, you know, something I'm, I'm, I'm telling my son as he gets older as well. So anyway, yeah, I just, bring me back there. <laughs> no, I just had a conversation or recording a couple of days ago with Joey uh, where we discussed a lot of mentality. That's the topic that he picked up on. And, you know, something interesting came across in the discussion, which was, okay, how do we develop that? How do we develop it? Because us as coaches in particular, or clubs or whatever, the soccer organization, the people in the soccer organization, we always talk about, okay, how to best develop technique or how to best develop their soccer IQ or how to best develop the, them physically, you know, whether it be nutrition or certain exercises or, you know, all, all, all those three components we beat to death and we discuss, 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 discuss internally and even in social media and externally in the public sphere. Those are the topics that are always talked about. Oh, the 433, the 4231, the 343, the one, all that stuff. What's missing is that one out of the four components, which is the mentality, the psychological component of the player. That really isn't discussed all that much. Yep. No, who's who's racking their brains? What coaches are sitting there thinking, okay, what activities can be devised or can be used to help develop the player's mentality? I mean, we'll mm-hmm. talk about it. I mean, you'll you'll talk to your players about the concept, about you know, why it's important, about having good habits, about blah, 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 discipline, responsibility, commitment, and how that'll impact you in the short, medium, and long term. And what you just discussed. Oh, don't complain about the coaches. We talk, talk, talk about it, but there are no specific activities and training being done to do it. Does that make sense at all? Like in training, training, if we want to develop technique, there's training exercises. I could do a, a, a certain type of rondo. I'll teach you how to do the certain type of rondo and what it is that you actually develop by doing the rondo. Oh, you want to talk a little bit about tactics? Okay, so in a 4-3-3 system, this is how we're going to build out of the back. You know, if you see this sort of situation develop, this is your decision tree sort of thing. And you train it, you train it, you train it. You don't just talk about it. You actually do it in training. Well, what are we actually doing in training specifically, specific activities to develop mentality? It doesn't really exist. And so Joey and I kind of, you know, spitballed 
off the cuff. And we're like, well, what if we gave every player, we had a whole bunch of jobs, tasks, task lists, ranging from when everybody has to do is be there on time religiously to uh, somebody, you know, logging is responsible for logging everybody's arrival, precise time to who's responsible for bagging the balls and bagging them correctly, promptly at the appropriate location with a certain degree of quality and a certain timeliness. Who's responsible for the pennies? Who's responsible for the cones? Who's responsible for the water? Who is going to walk certain things out to coach's car and from coach's mm -hmm. car? Almost like clockwork military discipline uh, teaching sort mm -hmm. of stuff or give them jobs off the field. Okay, your homework, your job is to watch the first half of this match and write a report on it. So it's almost like school, okay? Yeah. But you're trying to teach them, yeah. Some people do some of these things. We've done some of these things, but have we really done it in a very strict, serious manner to develop the player's mentality with the aim of developing the player's mentality over the course of years? Can I say something to that though? Hmm. I think to do, I'll say this environment obviously is big. So I think you're talking about like, obviously creating an environment where their mentality can grow, right? Like you're, you're saying, okay, to certain tasks, certain thing. Well, I think at the forefront of this is that the overall goal in a player's mind to, to become professional, there has to be a driving force because I, I, I get what you're saying. It's like, one of the reasons I left, I remember I was telling parents, I was like, 14, 15, you can't stay here. Why, why, why? You should stay, Kev, you should stay. All these kids, you know, they, a lot of them, a lot of them went to DC United, certain kids turned pro at DC United, they made national team. I said, you can't stay here. Why, 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 why? Oh, my kid, he doesn't, there's certain things he needs. He has, it, it's almost like the bird, you got to throw him out. He's got to go fly. Yeah. It's, I'm not saying it's impossible because it's not impossible, but it's certain kids from certain backgrounds and certain things in life that push you to a certain level that some people would use the word. I like to use the word suffering. I know this new generation maybe doesn't like it, but there's a certain level of suffering that you have to accept. That's going to be a part of it that, that will not feel good. A lot of it will not feel good to then take what you're talking about and make it work. If you get what I mean, there has to be this fear of like, Ooh, if I don't do this, I'm in, I'm in kind of deep shit, but it'd be great to hear like when Beasley first went to like, uh, I know he went to Rangers and everything, but like when he made it to PSV and he made it to Rangers, like, what was that feeling? You know what I mean? What was that feeling for like Dempsey? Like. What was the feeling like leaving U.S. soccer and coming here? You know, that is kind of like a, oh shit thing. Like I don't have anything major to fall back on. Of course they could go back to the MLS and they went back later, but I'm saying like when they were going then it was like, so there was this extra, it, the environment also helped push them. I'm not sure. It's not hundred percent sure they maybe would have done as well as they did if they've come from 10 years later, because. I think a lot of the stuff that we're saying, like you say with development, I think we actually give too much. Everything yes. is give, 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 when the player has to take, right? Yeah. One of the big, you know, one of the biggest things, like some of the kids I've brought overseas, the best ones that I've seen, they want to give, meaning they're always asking, they're, they're trying to get more, you know what yeah. I mean? Or not give, sorry. Um, they're trying to take, sorry. So that means take information. They have to be first. They're not comfortable in their situation. They're not living 
just through their phones and video games. There is a certain desire and a mindset that they, they bring that you feel, you know what I mean? And most of the kids that I've seen come through these situations, very comfortable, too comfortable, in my opinion. Well, mom and dad, I'll be there, da, da, da. Like, bro, you you know, parent, this is the type of parental pressure that I think is acceptable. Hey, I'm investing in you. 100% effort is, is no excuse. Food, everything. They have to be, listen, kids like this have to be on a straight and narrow. A kid like Dempsey could sneak out and party and do stuff because it's a life. You, you get what I mean? Like, you know, you, you'll get those kind of bad boys, the Mario Balotelli's and all that kind of stuff. Football, that was it. He's either going to be a fuck up or he's going to play football. So you can allow him to fuck up. Yeah. But you, suburban kid who has everything, you have to be focused like no other. Because guess what? When you come in, people think that you're soft. People think that it's going to be easy to get you out of here. People feel that. Like, and, you know, so even when I was doing my residency program, I would talk to so There was a kid. He's now at BC United. But he was, at, he was two years ago. He was like, you 14, came for our residency for like three months. I told the kid, I said, hey, I'm just going to let you know, if you don't make it pro, because he has the potential to do it. If you don't make it pro by 18, 19, you're going to be a Burger King. And I said that in front of the whole group. I said it in front of the whole group. And he said, I never want to make it. And I was like, you know, now he's at DC and I, we'll see what happens. But I, I just told him, I was like, you're going to be a Burger King. But he was probably so used to people saying, you're a good player. Look at your touches. Look at this. You know, this. There's, no, there's, no, there's no pressure when they get to these things. It's like, I'm here. I'm like, it, you know, so many kids in these academy. I'm like, okay, if 16, 17, Pedri is doing this and Bappe is doing this, not saying you're going to be that level, but I'm saying if they're doing this at these top leagues, you have to show up in MLS and fuck it up. You have to show up at USL and fuck it up. You need to be that level. You have to do it. You need to come with the mindset that I'm here. I got to do it because I aspire to be at this level. You cannot come in that environment and then expect that you're going to play at this environment and really not do much. Oh, yeah, I had a goal. Yes, I had a set. No, no, no. You're, there's a lot more expected if you expect to go to Europe and now do things at a top level. When is the last time, like, you know, like, like environments, right? Alfonso Davies was put in a Canadian suburban lifestyle, but where did he come from? Refugee camp. He already knew the process. He was like, man, he's like, I was in a refugee camp. So imagine the energy he came with at Vancouver, his energy, his mindset. So at 16, 17, where are we taking? Oh, you're out of here. Go to Bayern Munich. And he's been successful and he's been a pro. Yeah. So I guess, I guess my point is, is that it's extremely hard. If, if you can make it, honestly, if you're, if you can make it from a suburban background and make it to top level European football and stay there, I really, really applaud you for it. Like I said, McKinney, Adams, I think they got a dog in them. I think a lot of these guys have that mindset and that fight. And of course, you can have situations that happen. You get an injury, all this kind of stuff can happen. So listen, it's not to, to belittle anybody who's tried because anybody who tries, respect for it. It's just that, that process of actually staying and producing, there's a certain mentality that comes with that. And it's, and it's um, you know, my son, my son, we just played, we played Ajax last weekend, right? It was great. I loved it. My, my son's team is from suburban town called Skaka, which is like, we're like 45 minutes away from Amsterdam. So, you know, we go there and it's predominantly 90% Suriname, Curacao and, and Moroccan boys. You know what I mean? They're all from Southeast Amsterdam. 
the coach, I ask, first of all, there's no ref. This is why I love it. U10, dribble in. It's a street game. Mm -hmm. He doesn't call fouls. When they foul us, he doesn't call the foul. When we foul them, he doesn't call the foul. I'm talking about full on. Someone's running and tripping from behind. There's no, no talks about it. Kids are fighting for the ball. And I respected our kids because we fought. But, you know, these boys are coming from a certain background. There's a certain energy there. I told my boy, I said, hey, this is what you're going to have to be around if you want to make it. And he's like, like, no, no, this is the type of energy that you're going to have to be around if you want to make it. Because guess what? These kids don't back down. These kids are all after you. I'm talking about, and, and I think they were playing, we were playing, we were one year older than them. And they had a couple of U10s mixed in and a couple, and mostly U9s. So their center back, I love a little gangster dude. Anytime my son had the ball, even off the ball, just boom, elbow him in the back. You know what I mean? Pushing him, trip, everything, just fight. Just a fight. And I loved it. I loved it. I'm sitting there. I'm like, this is, this is an environment I want my son in. Now, if you're coming from the U.S. background, why did they touch him? They're being mean to him. All ref, all ref. You don't have a chance. <laughs> Give it up. Give it up. You have to it, raise, you have to raise. There's a so, so, no, so parents are a huge influence and factor in this because we're, you know, talking about players going to Europe and some making in some dangling around some running yep. back home if you take a look it's a great proportion of the people who are the players who have parents who were former pros or have that culture and attitude of not babying the kid if you yep. think about reina for instance his father needs no introduction i'm yep. sure reina when he first went over there young whatever he was 17 year old kid uh, had not played a professional minute of football in his life you know he left yep. new york city fc without actually playing there and it's not easy. It doesn't matter that you got your foot in the door at Borussia Dortmund and he started yep. playing with the U19 and he started playing with the U19s. I'm yep. sure during all the very, very, very difficult times he's had there. And even now, you know, when he kind of, you know, fell out of favor with the first team yeah, with respect to playing time, yeah. I'm sure very difficult situation, but you've got a father there and the, and the mother as well, probably telling their kid, shut the fuck up and work. You're going. And shut the fuck up and work. Um, there is no other reason. There is no other thing to do. Nobody's going to call the coach and tell the coach to play you. You know what I'm saying? The coach is going to be like, go fuck yourself. I'm doing whatever the hell I want to do. I got to earn points, baby. And if I think that your son is not going to help me as much as this other guy earn a point or three points or be competitive or execute the game plan or whatever, he isn't playing, Kevin. He's not playing. So yeah. But I think the parent influence is enormous in the success or failure or it kind of caps the kid from the mentality perspective, Kev, which is what we were discussing. Yep. You know, Joey and I kind of touched on all of these things. People are going to have to listen to the episode in full or whatever, but the parents way more influential than the coach that they happen to have. Oh, yeah. It, it, you know what I'm saying? It's, it's the parents, dude. Um, the friends, uh, you know, their environment with friends environment has a lot to do with it too. There's this saying that says, show me your friends. I show you your future. Yeah. Um, yeah. So if you're hanging around losers at all time, hmm, very large probability, you're probably going to be a loser also. Yep. Um, and then, uh, what was the other thing? God damn it, Kev. No worries. Fuck. There's so many things that we just discussed. Let me, let me see if I can steer us back around to the topic that you wanted to talk about. No, it's um, fine, man. Hey, I like it when we flow, man. Yeah, no. So, but br let's bring it. Let's bring it to. I'll connect it this way. 
the former U.S. men's national team players and what you said about them, and I agreed with the the mental fortitude that those guys had. They had no safety net. You either grind your ass off and, and hopefully get a payday one day because here in MLS, they weren't getting any paydays. Taylor Twellman, all these guys, they weren't getting paid. You know, they're getting peanuts relative to what they could be earning. So check out how I'm going to connect it, dude. Those guys, after their soccer playing career, had to, for the most part, continue working because they didn't have big baller money to just retire on a beach. And what skill do they have? Oh, the skill of soccer. So what do you do? Well, hopefully you can get a job with a franchise and be a general manager or be a, a, a coach or be an academy coach or be a broadcaster. Uh, all, all the jobs in the ecosystem, the MLS ecosystem, they had to get jobs there. And well, who hires them? Well, MLS hires them. So they are beholden to them for their jobs. And people might say, oh, well, thanks for that, Captain Obvious. Obviously, they're dependent on that. No, but you're, you're kind of missing it. What other skills do they have? Are they going to leave and go be an accountant? Are they going to leave and go be an engineer? Are they going to leave and pursue other career paths? They're limited. They're limited. They, it's, it's that or nothing. It's that or enormous amounts of struggle. So even though they might believe some of the things that we're about to discuss, which is this whole Atlanta United owner basically paying for U.S. soccer's training center here, mm -hmm. even though they might believe that should raise eyebrows and it's like, ooh, conflict of interest there. Ooh, like mm, this has, there's negative things that we need to discuss. They're not going to say shit because they need their jobs. Yeah, exactly. I did. Like you said. Versus, yeah. One sorry. more thing. One more thing. Versus, versus. Maybe like when Pulisic retires or McKinney retires or Adam retires, they've made millions. They have a lot more capability to speak their minds. And they do oh. many times. Pulisic has, has a lot of power with U.S. soccer and he can, he can say what he wants. Uh, there aren't going to be many repercussions. What? Greg Berhalter or whoever's national team coach is going to be like, ah, fuck you, Pulisic. You ain't going on here anymore because. Yeah. You said X, Y, or Z. No, like no chance. No chance. Yep. No, you know, like we said, you you know, if, if you can make it to the top of the pile in Europe and you know, he's able to say, I mean, he's won the Champions League. You know what I mean? He's played at the top level and, and plays at the top level currently. So, so like you said, I guess bringing it back to the, like what we're talking about with the Atlanta United um, owner with Arthur Blank paying for the National Training Center. You know, I obviously brought her up on Twitter. I'm like, okay, there's a conflict of interest. I just brought up an example. I think people thought, oh, it, it, only Atlanta United kids are going to get people for the national team. That was the point. That's just one of the things that should have been raised. And it's just, it, it, for me, it's like when you look at U.S. soccer, it's all about application. What are you trying to do with our nation? You know, we, we saw with the game they recently had, they couldn't sell out a match. It was against Oman or Uzbekistan. Also, the type of countries that they're playing to prepare, also the development, all these things. You know, it's not just criticism. You could see that there's a huge level of disconnect there. And so with me looking at the Arthur Blank thing and saying, and then people even saying in the writing, like him giving the 50 million was the actual kind of like tiebreaker thing for the, between that and North Carolina. I'm like, oh guys, you, do you understand him, you know? This has ramifications on presidential elections. If, if, if you or I wanted to run for president of U.S. soccer and we were able to garner attention on different platforms, you know, let's say your platform was, hey, grass fields, 
every place should have grass fields. We're going to have too many ACLs. This is affecting men and women's soccer. If, if you use that, you can definitely garner a lot of attention uh, from the women's side. You're going to get a lot of support saying all the fields should be that. So you're going to get support there. You're going to be bringing people together. Well, he just gave $50 million to the training center. Are you really going to go against that? You're going to protect his interest or pro-rel, which is the, the big one, right? It's going to protect his interest. Whatever, maybe it might even be games that um, Mexico comes in and plays. That means Atlanta United is going to get... He can probably say, hey, let's make sure I'm getting these games more than Dallas or Houston's getting them. Yes. Buy, you, you buy influence. You buy influence and because people might be like, oh, well, Catherine, what are you talking about affecting the U.S. soccer elections? That's up to the voting members, you know, which is the athlete council, which is the pro leagues, which is this, which is that. Like Arthur Blank doesn't cast a vote. He has no power to cast. Guys, are, are we blind to this world? Do we not see yeah. what happens in this world? What happens at the macro level? Are you guys not following politics at all? Left yeah. versus how this works? Biden and Trump and the media and like the drug companies and the influence. The drug companies aren't voting, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. Big tech, big tech isn't voting who the president of the United States is going to be or who the senator is going to be or anything. No, they they aren't voting. They aren't the ones who pick and choose. But are are we so stupid? Are we so blind? Are we not paying attention? the massive amounts of influence that indirectly outside the letter of the law indirectly maneuvers everything. I mean, yes. come, come on guys. Do, do we, it's right there in writing. What do you think lobbyists do? Yep. What do you think the exchange of favors are all about? So mm -hmm. when I'm blank, an MLS owner, a guy who's worth, I, I don't know the number off the top of my head, 20 billion with a B in mm -hmm. front of his name. When he do donates quote, donates 50 million first off 50 million is three zeros away you know from 50 billion so it's basically it's like you or i donating one dollar okay to mm -hmm. some cause and with that yep. one dollar i buy i'm buying influence you don't think you think he's just doing this out of the goodness of his heart oh i want to develop soccer in, in the country uh here's a 50 million dollar donation you guys do it come on people yeah it's exactly what you're saying dude and by, by the way that's why it has to be a quote-unquote donation because then it would be a conflict of interest if it was not a quote-unquote donation. donation so that's how you kind of circumvent the letter of the law i'm just donating some money no nothing to see here and so, yeah, maybe yep. you can rattle off some of those things. Yeah, massive influence. What other things can be impacted? And the thing is, is that, you know, we're, we're supposed to, you know, I was telling people, I was like, that 50 million, if we needed 50 million, you could have got 1 million from each state association, from everything, mm -hmm. from every youth player in every organization. You would say, hey, everybody, we're $10, $10 more for every player that's registered in the U.S. What we apparently have. 24 million um, soccer players. I can't, I can't remember how many are actually registered. But if you just put that in everyone's registration piece and say, hey, we're building a new national training facility. And guess what we're going to, guess what we're going to do with the training facility? We are going to host all youth national championships there, all amateur championships there, all semi-pro uh, championships there, and all national team events, everything there. So we need everybody. Everybody's going to put a piece in because we're all connected, right? Very simple. The 50 million is done. It's collected. You know what I mean? But like you said, now you give this 
one person, one organization influence. And it, it, the, the part is it's not about Arthur Blank. He, like you said, he could have the worst intentions. He could have the best intentions. He could want nothing. That's not the point. It's not even about him. Yeah. It could be anybody, right? right? right. If I gave, if I have 50 million and I gave it to you, I'll be like, bro, well, no, what, what's interesting, dude, is, is if that actually happened, if somebody like me came in yeah. and gave $50 million, I would, huge red flag. I'd be torn, I'd be torn apart. The media yep. would tear this situation apart. Like, what the fuck? You can't accept $50 million like, from Gary. You can't accept $50 million from 343. You can't accept $50 million from Elon Musk. You can't accept $50 million. You pick and choose anybody outside of, the, of yep. the MLS That's a great point. group. And red flags all over the place. If Saudi came in and said, here's $50 million. BIF, yeah. Bro. It would be a disaster right now. And a hundred million percent, they would be saying those specific words, conflict of interest, U.S. soccer. You cannot do this. This is a yep. conflict of interest because as a bank, Gary is going to have influence over you or the Saudis are going to have influence over you or Elon Musk is going to have influence over you and the court. So this is what do we see it now, guys? Do you see why some of us might be raising an eyebrow and saying, hey, can we ask some questions here? Yeah. And like I said, that's just one of the things that are right blatantly in our face that I think U.S. soccer accepts. You know, I saw on Twitter, one person raised the point of, oh, well, all federations are um, are shady and, and have bad practices. I was like, yeah, I, I understand. Uh, and I was like, they should also be called out for what they do, too. Right. If it's if it's their organizations, I don't think it should be that we're so apathetic to our situation, especially since we really don't have success anyway. I don't understand if people really take it as success. It's like, it's like what we've talked about and I've raised this before. We have the highest paid youth coaches in the world. The highest, no other place, no other place. Listen, pick any big youth club. Their coaches are making, their coaching staff is, is making way more money than, than Barcelona's youth coaching staff. Hmm? Let's really put it, let's, let's, Put it there, 100%. you know, like, cause like when they say, you know, when they say, you oh, 1 million, 2 million, 3 million is getting spent at Ajax, Barcelona, all these clubs. I'm like, yeah, that's for the whole youth academy. That's not just for these coaches. That's for everything, you know, all the fees, everything that, that they're actually not making that type of money. Maybe a U19 coach is making a little bread, but that's it. We have that. We have facilities to obviously do massive things. We have so many opportunities everywhere. Like, you know, it's just, it's all these it's like, things do we, that we it's have. Like, it's like, it's like, do we need this training center? Do we, like, do yep. we need this? Well, we I had mean, Bradenton, right? Well, we, we, had Bradenton. Had, we had Bradenton back in the day. And then the national team would come to Staples, not Staples Center. Uh, Carson, in, right? Yeah, Carson. You'd come to LA and train. And also in Kansas City, whatever it was, eight, 10 years ago, they're like, oh, we're opening a new facility in Kansas City and for US soccer and all this stuff. It's like, do we need, like, what is the point of this? I have no problem with the training center as long as, it, the, the key thing that we miss all, I think we miss all in this is, like we said, what's the vision, right? Here's the vision. Okay, the vision is to develop U.S. soccer. Okay, for what? To do this, right? So I know back in the day they had, what was it called? Project 40, Project something. I can't remember what it was. Yeah, the, Project the first 40. One. That's the IMG. Project 40. Mm -hmm. Exactly. So they have Project 40. They have all these other projects and all these different things going on. Um, the rest of the world has shown us 
And we all, the reason why we bring it back to promotional relegation is all it is, is just more competitors being able to enter the market and showcase their product at the highest platform. That's it. There's nothing else. There's nothing because that's it. Another potential product being able to be developed and being able to take the knowledge and the passion from your constituents, right? People like us, people all around the country who are doing work. And for us to now use our energy and our force and our connections and our investments and everything towards building that product to become the best it can be. And because you're doing that, oh, wait, your academy's free, Gary? I got to make my academy free. All right, let me go find more investments. Let me go get this person. Oh, wait, you guys just got a new field, a new facility? I got to go get a new facility. I got to go do this. I got to go do that. That's all it is. And this happens on, a, like I said, micro level on youth clubs, right? Hey, they're wearing Nike jerseys. We got to get Nike Adidas jerseys. We got to do this. It's the natural human competition thing that happens, right? Competi competition of ideas. Who, which ideas and, and are best and who can execute the best? And it's, it's just a pure, it's a pure meritocracy, dude. And we all push each other because either we continue to progress or we die just like any business it is pure competition who can yep who has the best ideas who can actually execute best and then you get to see the flourishing you know yep. of it all because yep. then the incentives are aligned the business incentives are aligned with your capabilities on the sporting front mm -hmm. and that's why we see like you said we see but when you do the other side, so many things are protected. Like, listen, of course, people are protected within pro-rel situations, right? But if you're lagging behind, you're going to pay for it. If you yeah, don't well, change look at, up. Look at Manchester United. Look at all these clubs. Just if, if you take a day off or breathe a sigh of relief and don't continue every day, it's a slippery slope and you're going to go down and down. I don't care how much money you've got. I mean, yes, exactly. money can buy you out of a lot of problems, but with the system open, like in the Premier League, and they don't really discriminate. Oh, Russian oligarch? Okay, come in. Come Rome, through. You can buy Chelsea. Obviously, the war in Ukraine kind of stripped him of that or whatever, but barring yeah. some crazy geopolitical thing like that, bro, Saudi, you want to buy Newcastle? Or, or whoever, Who I don't know who bought Newcastle. Uh, yeah. Somebody uh, from PIS, uh, Saudi. Yeah, Saudi investment. Yeah. Okay, come on in. And now Newcastle surges. And guess what? It's the other guys who are always at the top of the Premier League now have in more intense competition on their hands. Man City also. People forget Man City was nothing not too long ago. And then massive oil money came in. They surge. Well, guess what? Arsenal and Man United and all you guys, you're just going to slip and slip and slip unless you do something about that too. And, and look at the level. I mean, even with all that, part of that investment and in competition has now helped raise the, even the English national team to a point now that if you look at it, England is probably easily, I mean, after, I think after you get, I think you could say France, I think you could say Argentina, France, Brazil, England right now, yeah, probably Spain there. Right. Yeah, Spain. I think it's, those are the, probably the top five nations right there for talent. Those are the nations that you're looking at, which England normally used to be, you know, people used to big up their players, but I would say they would be outside of that top five due to um, performance. But now if you look at it, 
couple Euro finals. Uh, I think they made a semifinal in a couple of events. So you see that they're coming on and it's because of that competition coming together and pushing them. And we're just now in a phase, it's like people aren't really analyzing. To me, they're not analyzing because like, like I'm I, obviously I live over here. So I'm like, what player, what player from 17 to 20 is a top but talent in MLS? Nobody, nobody, dude, nobody. That, nobody that's all I want, like a top talent. No, nobody. And it's hilarious. The whole inter Miami kid, the 18 year old Kramoski or, or, you know, being yeah. called to the U S national team and stuff. It, it just goes to show how so much of it, I don't want to say is, it's marketing, but so much of it is just a matter of right place, right time, right political forces in play yep. on who gets elevated and who doesn't. Kramoski was, I'm not saying he's a bad player. He's a good player, but not above I mean, he's just part of the pack. Let's be honest. Yep. He's just part of the pack. You know, he's pretty much the same level as so many of these other guys who are 17, 18, 19, 20 in the league. But he's the one who got elevated. Guess what? Oh, because big dog Messi's in town and make, makes everybody look great. Ten times better. That much better, you know, and all of a yeah. sudden, all his teammates look that much more attractive. And yeah, you have this 18-year-old kid who, who's doing well, um, but all of a sudden you get called to the national team. Because of that, well, let's let's also consider that he's a dual national with Argentina. Um, so okay, okay. They're, they're, but there, you see, but that too, they're external forces in play, and not necessarily a meritocracy as as to why you call person A or person B to the top. Um, there, the national team has been used in so many ways as a marketing instrument for MLS mm -hmm. and as window shopping overseas for MLS players. Mm -hmm. um, that frankly don't deserve it. Um, yeah. It happens time and time again. And the U.S. men's national team has even been leveraged to rekindle the careers of players who have been flailing about. You know, you, yep. you they would even call players who aren't even playing for their club teams and something, but because um, I am so tempted to say specifics, right? But, but, be, but I understand. But, no, but because of external influences and, okay, I'll do you a favor, you know, I'll call your player, this player to the national team and give him, showcase him, you know, to, to revive his absolutely dead career on a right. Yeah, yeah, of course. So again, so again, corruption, which is kind of our, our little topic here with this whole news of an MLS franchise owner donating, donating $50 million for a U.S. soccer national training center. And the influence that that, that buys, it, yeah, you know, there's so many cases. Soccer United marketing is another thing where it was unbelievable that MLS, through its subsidiary, Soccer United Marketing, aka Sum, was the one that never had to compete for the marketing rights of the national team and the national teams. Mm -hmm. It was just the contracts were just given to them by U.S. Soccer. Mm -hmm. Hey. You're going to do this job of marketing for the national team. You don't think that is a conflict of interest instead of U.S. soccer going out into the marketplace and, you know, having bids come in from all kinds of agencies to see who offers the best deal. As opposed to what happened now, MLS can leverage their marketing arm to, quote unquote, coerce U.S. soccer into certain types of decisions. Maybe it was like what players to call up, what players not to call up. Jurgen Klinsmann in his own book wrote it in black and white that there was a quota 
that he had to kind of fulfill with MLS players for the national mm-hmm. team. Yeah, 100%. And people want to discredit him, smear him, and claim, oh, conspiracy theory or whatever. But how convenient. Why don't you take the guy's word and say, okay, let's think about this a bit. They don't even want to think about it, Kefren. Yep. But it is, is, is exactly what you say. It's like corruption is going to happen everywhere. Is it, yeah, that's true. There's the beginning of time. That's it, true. It, no matter what level of business or that you're working in, percent, it's going to happen. I think the biggest thing that we all kind of fight for is just <laughs> maybe the opportunity to maybe the opportunity to be part of that corruption. No, no, <laughs> um, no, no. But the opportunity just to be even uh, be able to build something that can compete at a certain. Uh, um, Especially something that you believe in and that you're passionate about. I think we were talking about this earlier. I mean, you were messaging is is that a lot of people I think who give their opinions on these things, this isn't what they do. They kind of like it. They kind of do it. This isn't what their passion or what drives them. And it sometimes it, it drives me crazy in the states because I think a lot of people are not passionate, are not really passionate about it. And you could tell someone is really passionate about it because the drive that they have, they maybe don't even, um, uh, they're maybe fighting a losing hand or, or they're in a position where they're used to overcoming struggle and they're okay overcoming that struggle to, to build something and do something. And then there's a lot of people who want to be protected by that kind of status quo saying like, Hey, this is, um, this is how all it is. And this is, and this is what's going to be. I think about 99.9% of the U.S. soccer fan base, ecosystem, everything falls within that. Yeah. This is what it is. This is what we should accept. And and most people are like that, which is it's fine. And I think, like I told you, I was like, guys like us are essentially a little bit more dangerous because if you're able to bring together people and show a different light, then that causes a little bit of, you know, like, hey, we got to make sure we shut you out in a kind of way. Yeah, because they can't, uh, they can't let you build something. Otherwise, your message gets bigger. Exactly, exactly. So if, you, if, if that can happen, then all of a sudden, it's like everything that we built. And, and that's why I see. I see, I see they just, they're just really protecting what they built. And you got to be on the inside. If you're not on the inside, they're not going to let the kingdom go down type of thing. Um, so, you know, they'll come up with anything. They'll say anything. They, you know, they have their crony speaking. I mean, I think uh, Gazidis, even Gazidis uh, recently said something, the former yeah. Arsenal CEO, director, I think he's at Milan now, but he recently came out about some stuff with MLS. I can't remember exactly what he said, but he said something about the, something kind of against ProRel and the reason that MLS look at stability, we've been able to do this, been able to do that. And, and, and you know, it's like people don't really take, don't really grasp how big and powerful the U.S. soccer marketing machine is, uh, just the U.S. sports marketing machine is. Um, Messi being there just proves it about how quickly it can change. And we're just not really processing how quickly things could change in, in, in football. So I, I think we're just at a point now, and then this, this is all connected. Like, so for parents, this is all connected. Like the environment that you want your, your kids in, like even if you were coming from a suburban soccer culture, right? If you came from a suburban soccer culture where being a, so- a soccer player was a big thing, like being the, the guy, being the quarterback 
you know, at a Dallas high school, suburban Dallas high school is a big deal. You know what I mean? There's yeah. a cultural pressure. They've made Friday night lights shows about it. They told you, they built the culture and they were able to build something that represented them. And so when you're that quarterback or you're that basketball player, you're that, there's something that comes with that. Our kids don't have any of that. There's no feeling, there's no connection or lack of, I mean, I know in some places, high school soccer might be bigger than others, but I'm saying that real, you know what I'm saying? You know, to the, yeah. the part where we could say, people know who you are. Yeah. No one knows who U.S. soccer players are. Kef, Kef. And the argument is that, oh, because college football or fo American football, right? Gridiron is yep. big in the country, number one. We don't have yep. that sort of history in soccer. We need 100 years or 50 more years or 20 more years. And it's just not true, Kefren, because the kids here at the, the, dem the soccer demographic here knows what football actually is globally. And unless we do it like the globe does it, it's not going to change. Yep. It's not, it's yep. not going to change. We're, we're always going to see is like some second or third rate uh, attempt at copying the yep. others. It's just not the real yep. sport. Kef. It's not the real thing, dude. That, that, that's the problem. It's not the fucking real thing. Like Messi goes and plays at other stadiums and he's the visitor and their own fans, the local fans are wearing Messi jerseys and wanting to enter Miami to win and want him to score goals. Like this, yep. this is not real. This is not real football. It's like, it's like Messi going to what Sporting Gijón or Celta or Betis and the Betis people are like, oh yeah, fucking Messi. I hope you, oh, Mina, did you see me? And wearing Messi jerseys? Come on. It's not man. real. It, no, it's not real. It's like you're to use your words. It it is a circus. There's there the the MLS product is an entertainment only product. It is yep. not a competition. It is not club football. Otherwise, yep. you wouldn't see half the stadium rooting for the opposite team because the opposite team has Messi, and you wouldn't see the local team selling Messi shirts. <laughs> Are you fucking serious? It's like Betty saying selling Barcelona Messi shirts, you know, because yeah, if you're a player, if you're, if, if you're a player in that the opposite team or something like you, I think you want to be more, I mean, like, I think all of us, when you come down to it, like when we play sport, play anything, you're a competitor, right? We all got a competitive gene, some bigger than others, right? Bro, if I was young and I was on that field in the MLS and Messi had a ball and he'd get around me, if I could, if I could catch him real quick, I would. And I would, and in fact, I wouldn't even want to, I don't know. It's that competitiveness. Like, you know what I love? Like, like we talk about being from the streets, right? Compared to the suburbs, right? When Kobe Bryant would show up to Rucker Park, there'd be a guy talking shit. Like, I can beat him. I can beat him. No, no reason why this guy is qualified to say this. It doesn't make sense. There's nothing that qualifies him to, to take on a, a 100, 200, 300, $400 million player to say that he can beat him. And just the mindset to go out there and compete because it's just, even though you're here, you're coming to my level, we're going to show, we're just, we're going to have to prove it on this court. And I think that's really the essence of what we're talking about. Whatever anybody, it, no matter what marketing, media, money, all these things that try to separate us, regardless, prove it on the field. Yeah. When you prove it on the field, now people are able to say, excuse me. Like if you look at Pro Rail, right? Look at, uh, take Graham Potter's story. 
Graham Potter, no one had heard of him, but I remember I started following his story when he was in Sweden at Ostersunds. He left England because he saw in England, he's like, ah, oh, this is not really the pathway for me. He drove to Ostersunds and I think in Sweden, I think they're like sixth or seventh division. So he just starts doing things differently. He starts recruiting a lot of players from England to come play in Sweden to help build his, his program. And he takes that club from, I think, fifth or sixth level, I can't remember where it started, all the way to the top division, qualifies them for Europa League. Yeah. And people wow. like, look how he did. He built this. And, you know, that's what got him his job with Swansea. That's what got him his job at, um, where'd he go? Where'd he go for earlier? Oh, yeah, Brighton. That's what got him his job at, at Chelsea, right? He started from somewhere. And because that was an access way in, and he was able, now imagine he could not have moved up Ostersons. They would have said, oh, well, that's his fifth division. You, can, you can't prove it there. Oh, then he goes to fourth. Oh, wait, he proves it there. Oh, he goes to third. Oh, he proves it there. Oh, he's first. That's at the first level. And it's like, wait, you took this small club that no one knows to this level. You went through this much struggle. You overcame this much. And then when they played Arsenal, I remember when we played them, like, they were dominating possession on us. I was like, what is this club? Mm. With yeah. Random discovery. Discovery. Do we not think there are hundreds of potential grandpotters in our country? No question. No question. Dude, if Brian and I could start our club here in SoCal, the fourth tier, USL mm -hmm. one or two or whatever it's called, bro, we would build that motherfucker. We'll, we'll eat everybody. We will eat you. And we bring the whole community together, dude. We will eat everybody. And because... Yep. You know, it's not a, in that case, it's not a zero sum game because sure, Galaxy, LAFC, whoever, you can go and grab great talented players with your name and your brand and everything. Uh, no question about it. But there are so many players, Kevin. There are yeah. so many players. We'll, okay, we'll get the quote unquote leftovers, the guys that you didn't see or you guys that, you know, because there's a whole bunch of talent and we'll get those guys and we'll still eat you. We'll eat yeah, you. It's, it's so big though. That, like you said, it's such the, the, the market is so huge that people really don't grasp it. Yeah. We don't grasp how big it is in the States or maybe some do grasp it, but so how controlled it is as well. And because it's so controlled, it's so manufactured into this, this There's product no of MLS. There's no yeah. discovery. There's no discovery. And, and you sit here and you say, how, how can there be no significant talents coming through? How can there be, like, it's, it, it, it almost should be impossible because our market's so big, because each state is so big. Who's the top player in California? And everyone's like, oh my gosh, did you see this guy? Who's Carlos Vela talking about coming through? Like, man, hey, bro, I don't think you should stay here long. You are, you're too good for this level. You got to go. Who, who's the guy that Messi's talking about in Miami? Like, hey, because you see this level over here and you see it, like I said, I mean, over here, they're scouting already. Not saying that it, it, you have to scout at this, at this age and you tend like my son's in, not saying that. I would just say just the culture is allowed to build something. You are allowed to build something and try to build something, regardless of how big you make it, or if you make it or you don't make it, you are at least allowed to enter the ecosystem and Yes, there will always be safeguards. And I think in some way there should be some safeguards in terms of how you do things. I'm not saying it should be just total. And I don't mean pro raw, I just mean in like certain safeguards and how you build things. But I will say that just having the opportunity to do something yeah. is just major 
And you can see it's all linked because all it just means is when we open this up, now everybody, what's the best practices? Everybody, that's why you have conferences and all this stuff. People come together, say, what's the best practices to build this or to do this? And you have expertise coming in. And why do people value your expertise? Because you have the platform that's able to prove it. But if you're at USL, you could be playing football out of this world, right? Matter. Doesn't matter. You it can win doesn't the matter. You, you'll win the championship and yep. then uh, that's it. Okay. Yep. You won the championship. Hey, keep Here, talking. I'm just getting my charger, man. Yeah. Here's your trophy and I'll see you next year. And even worse than that, you might lose your players elsewhere because you've done well, but you as a club don't go any further. You've reached the peak and it's the end of the story. You know, you mentioned, I'm going to go off road just a touch. I want to bring it back to, you said about college football, American football, and the player having the prestige and all that stuff and doesn't happen in soccer. And then I encountered and said, yeah, it'll never happen in soccer unless we do it the right way, authentic, and we open the whole system because it's kind of fake now. Um, and, and, you know, kids don't have anybody to look up to here or anything. It's curious, you know, if you take the case of Argentina, I don't know if you're aware the guy who is running for president, you know, was a former football player. Um, okay. And, and he actually cites that as being one of the reasons for his popularity there. And then he was also kind of like a, a rock star and he has degree and professional in economics. So it's kind of a co the confluence of all three of those things together. And he is specifically talking a lot of libertarian principles and opening things up to competition and away from socialist, even kind of communist principles that Argentina has been operating under for a very, very long time. And the people I think have finally started to wake up sufficiently to rebel against how everything's been done in the past and go towards more of this open, laissez-faire economy, which is quite interesting because he's being very forthcoming and very open about kind of like how, like what we're talking about, Kat. Yeah. Here, we're just talking about the American soccer establishment and the system here being yes. socialist, basically being communist, basically being tyrannical in many ways, because if you're not part of the group, then they squash you or they just completely cripple you and limit how far you can go, how much you can build USL team. Sorry, you're stuck in USL forever. And we're going to work to destroy you systematically by how are we going to do that? Well, Austin bold, sorry, we're going to drop an MLS franchise on your face right now. And Austin bold, like good luck. Uh, getting fans to your stadium. Good luck doing anything. Austin Bold folds. When was it? A month ago? Oh, San Diego. You're going to have an, an MLS franchise, you know, we'll helicopter. And, and San Diego Loyal, the USL team there, has done very well over the years, garnered a fantastic audience. You filled that stadium up, built a culture. One of the owners comes out and says, hey, you know, we're calling it quits. It's done. We're not coming back yep. next year. Yep. Four years ago, Landon Donovan, myself, and our group of investors uh, started on a journey to bring professional soccer back to San Diego. I'm very proud of what we've accomplished in the first three seasons from enduring a pandemic to making, a making it to the playoffs to then making it to the playoffs here for our first ever home game in Torero Stadium. Um, and now in our fourth season, looking to make the playoffs once again. Um, over the last six months, myself, Ricardo Campos, and a small part of my team have been looking at all viable options up and down the coast uh, for us to find solutions for academy, for training facilities, for stadiums, 
From Oceanside down to the border, we've looked at everything and left no stone unturned. Unfortunately, after looking at all of that, I've come to the conclusion that this will be the last season for San Diego Loyal. For those of you who've gotten to know me, spent some time talking with me, you know how much this hurts for me to say. I love our city, I'm born and raised here, and I will always be loyal to San Diego. I don't see myself taking this project anywhere else, and I refuse to put an inferior product in front of you after you've come to love what we've done for the last four years. Landon has always said to me, how you do anything is how you do everything. And that's why I thought it was important that you hear from me today, not from a statement or a press release, but from me speaking to you. I understand it's in a video, and I hope you know that in the coming weeks, we will have the opportunity to all get together and have a question and answer and a discussion about all of this. And as always, I will continue to be transparent with you. Um, we look forward to that happening and we'll send details as that gets closer. I believe together in these last four years, we have set a new standard of what it means to be a professional soccer team in this city and be a reflection of our community. And I'm proud of that. And I wanna take a second to thank everybody from our dedicated supporters to our season ticket members, to our incredible group of players and coaches, to our staff, to our community partners, but once again, especially you, because without you, this club is nothing. So I have an ask. As we head into this last two months of the season, I ask that you continue to fight with the club. I ask that you come celebrate and not mourn what we have done over the last four years. I ask that you come join us at Torero for our final four home games and represent your community, come together as friends and family and cheer us on as we push once again to make it to the playoffs and who knows what happens after that. <sighs> like I said, this is really difficult. And from the bottom of my heart, I just wanna thank everybody for the way you've represented the club and worn our crest. I'm forever grateful and I'll be forever loyal to our community. Thank you. They, they basically destroy you if you're not one of them and you have yep. no capability of building. So San Diego Loyal, just because it's top of mind for everybody, they proved the market, they mm -hmm. developed marketplace there. And instead of them reaping the rewards of doing that, they essentially get jacked. Oh. MLS sees, oh, look, look at, the, look at what they've done down there. Oh, there's a nice market. There's a nice fan base that they've cultivated for this sport. Why don't we just drop a franchise on their heads over there and just take over? And that's what they did. And that's what they're yeah. doing. And it's the same well, thing. You know, the thing is, the same thing they did in Atlanta. I don't remember if you remember Atlanta Silverbacks where Eric Winaldo. Yeah, all first Silverbacks, man. Yeah, and some buddies that play for them. Yeah. Okay. As soon as the uh, MLS franchise was announced or helicoptered in, poof. There goes Gone. another another lower division club extinct. Yep. Hey, and you know what? The thing is, I actually don't have an issue with what MLS is doing. The problem is the federation is intertwined yes. with it. That's yes. the issue. Yes. I and I'm I'm gonna reemphasize th this point in the intro and now, and I've done it many times. I have no fucking beef with MLS. It's fine. Yep. If I was Arthur Blink. I would almost surely be doing the exact same things. I want my monopoly. 
no promotion relegation, absolutely not. Uh, I'm going to try to purchase influence by donating millions of dollars to whoever it is I need to influence, U.S. soccer being the one I want to influence now. Kind of like Sam Bigman freed you know, the whole FTX collapse in the crypto market. He's like lubing up the politicians and lubing up all kinds of companies and making all these donations to the Republicans and the Democrats and then getting meetings with them to regulate the market the way he sees fit. I mean, he's yep. not voting. He's not a congressman. He's not a senator. He's not a president. He's not a regulator. But, okay, why was he donating money to the, the political parties then? They go, yeah. what? Oh. To garner influence, so to leverage them so that they vote the way that you want them to vote. So it's not exactly. So, like you said, I want to echo it. I have no problem with Arthur Blank. I have no problem with MLS, its owners, the commissioner, Don Garber. None. It's fine. And I'll do business with you. It's no big deal at all. It's just we have this problem here where we should have a federation, a nonprofit organization as it is whose charter is to look out for all its constituents across the country, all of them, and work for their best interest. The issue is that that organization is not fulfilling its charter at all. It is completely compromised. It's basically a puppet of MLS at this point and nothing more. Yeah. And so then my beef, you know, I asked myself my question, well, I can't really blame the Federation or, or the president. Of, I guess you can. You can talk about Parlo, Cindy Parlo or whatever, and whoever is the president of the U.S. soccer. And you, I guess you can, could look at them and criticize them and saying, what the hell are you people doing? Like, be better, be better leaders or whatever. But they're kind of in a tough spot because they're completely bought and paid for as well. And their incentive isn't to do the right thing. Then personally, their incentive is to shut the fuck up, bend the knee, kiss the ring of MLS and do what it is that they want you to do. And so yeah. it's almost like I can't blame them because the, you know, they have probably families to feed. So I get it. So then my attention naturally goes to, well, who should be doing something about this? And that's where the fourth state comes in. I yeah. forgot what it's called, but the journalists, your job as a journalist is to speak truth to power is to have yep. that sort of integrity of investigating, of reporting uh, in an unbiased fashion what is going on in the ecosystem. And they are among the worst at this. They actually craft stories and craft, they, they consciously craft narratives to support this conflict of interest that exists in our country, they, to support the fact that U.S. soccer is basically a puppet of MLS. They'll never say yeah. something like that, ever. They craft stories to make it look as if everything's great. As if this that we're discussing now, this particular case of Arthur Blank donating $50 million, oh, this is awesome. It's going to grow the game. Echoing what everybody's saying, it's going to grow the game. Or what US Soccer is saying, this is going to grow the game. Kefren, tell me, how the fuck is one training center in one city going to Grow the game. And for the national teams, by the way, yeah. grow the game. Growing the game means doing, having initiatives that scale and get into every nook and cranny of the country, not doing some fancy in the pants, luxurious, beautiful training center with all these fields that's going to hold host the national team and events, you know, or showcases, or that doesn't fucking help the guy in. San Jose, that doesn't help the guy in Bakersfield, that doesn't help the guy in Barstow, that doesn't help the guy in 
Las Vegas. It doesn't help the guy in anywhere. Yeah, but you know what? They, they're able to, you know, I'll lay the blame on it. It's us. I don't mean me and you. Tell me. I mean, I mean the, the fans. actual the supporters and the, mm. the people that are doing this. We're not, we're actually not as passionate as a group as we should be. I think too many people are just, you know, it's not really that deep for them, which is, is cool. You know what I mean? Yeah. That's what I'm saying. Yeah. Like, it's, it's just a game not, for that. Say again? It's just, for them, it's just a game for the most it's part. It's just a game. It's like, hey, we're here. We could watch it. We could do it. And that's it. I think like how we started this conversation. Many people won't have the position that you all have due to how you started. They would not have changed. They would not have been themselves. They would have played the game more in a certain kind of way to have influence in a certain type of way. People would have done what I've done and, and say, hey, I'm going to move overseas and do this. You know, I, I think most are, and, and I don't blame them in that sense because most of the time you're going to protect how you make your money, how you live, right? Because yeah, of course. It's, it's survival. It's survival, especially if you're in the, in the ecosystem, right? So I don't blame that, but that blame is ours because it's not that serious, which is fine. It's just that when we're playing other countries and it is that serious to them, stop. We almost have to like stop raising, like almost just stop complaining because I'm like, yo, we keep talking about this. We've told you, we yeah. told you what's happening. We're showing you what's happening. Yeah. So why complain? You, it's, but it's almost like you don't have a right to complain now. If things aren't working out the no. way you like them to work out, because guys, yeah, like you're saying, we told you and you did nothing about it. You're not raising your voice. Exactly. You're not raising your voice. People are just, we're accepting of it. All right. It's Messi's in town. Yay. Messi's in town. Okay. Any other US, but I'm always thinking, I'm like, okay, who's, who's the next one? Who's excited? Like, I'm just looking from the outside, looking in now. And I, and you know, I don't even watch US games. Like forget if we're playing Uma, Oman and Uzbekistan. I haven't seen it. I don't think I've seen a game in like three years. Like, honestly, other than the World Cup, the World Cup, of course. I don't blame you. Yeah, I haven't seen, you know, it's hard to catch games here so much. But it's just this, um, it's not aligned. To, it doesn't mean that everything needs to be perfect. It just means that to, to, we're the United States, right? How do we unite in some ways to actually move everything forward? You know, obviously, I think there was a big push. I don't know when the next U.S. soccer election is. I know there was a big push. I know Winalda and that group and other people, there's a lot of noise around that election. But then of course we saw how that, all that fiasco and how everything ended and they obviously rank, regained power and became stronger, I think. But, um, we look at these processes and I'm like, are we getting closer? I think people, we are getting closer if everyone else stopped. Yeah, correct. Well, everybody else is getting better. And that's that's not, what you don't understand. Everybody else is getting it, better. Yeah. Have we improved? We've improved a lot of things. We've improved uh, organization, uh, structure, um, consolidation of things, expanded the professional and, and, and levels. Gary, every, is great. But, but, but everybody else is getting better too. Yeah. Exactly. And Gary, there's YouTube sessions where you can find, where you could do any session, like pretty much yeah, sure, like a coach whatever. said, sessions around the world. You can find the same session in North Korea that you can find in the, in the U.S. that you can find in Spain. So these things are there. But like I said, the same things that we're talking about, all the other intangibles and things like, how do you measure motivation? How do you measure this? How do we do this? How do we get this player here? How do we do this? All these things where we're just not seeing the fruit is not, like I say, grow the game, right? The potential is there. 
we are not watering this thing enough. They're not getting enough. They're not being put through enough challenges to grow. They are not, when we need them at top level to actually bear fruit, it is not happening consistently enough compared to what we potentially have. Yeah. And Kev, I want to make this clear and I've done a terrible job of it and I need to go on almost like a crusade to make this point and position ourselves the way it's always been meant to position three, four, three, that is, uh, and my, me personally, I do not give a fuck about soccer. I don't care about people kicking a ball around a patch of grass and who wins and who doesn't win and who's a good player and who's not a good player and what formation should it be and what is good about this formation versus that formation. Who's I don't care. I don't care. I care about the deeper things. I care about meritocracy versus monopoly. I care about things like developing human beings a certain way versus another type of way. I care about businesses being able to operate versus being dictated to or being suppressed. I care about ecosystems as a whole, how they are shaped and developed. I care about corruption. I care about incentives. I care about all of that stuff is what drives me. It's what it, it's what this whole thing represents. That is the battle. The fact that it is done through the soccer ecosystem, through soccer, is just a coincidence because, you know, I'm Argentinian or some of Argentinians and this hasn't been in the blood and I played my whole life and then I coached a little bit and, you know, it's, it's an interesting game, but that's not the driver. When I see, when I see like Pep or Arteta or something, give a talk uh, outside of the field or at halftime or soccer or non-soccer related or whatever, or Croy for whoever, you see that they've also, also, I'm not comparing myself to them at all. Okay. But you see that, that they talk about philosophy and life and many times things that have absolutely nothing to do with kicking. It's related, but he's not, they're not talking about the soccer ball. Okay. They're talking about Edison, what Edison did or what Tesla did, or, you know, Phil Jackson, you know, famously, we took over the Chicago Bulls or Lakers. I already forgot that he dished out books to everybody in the roster to read about some sort of Zen philosophy or something. And the players were like, what, what the fuck is this? This is Why are we doing this? Yeah. crazy. Like, what, what are we doing here? You're giving us a philosophy book. Yeah. Motherfuckers listen to the man. He's operating on a completely different level. And these are the sorts of things that you think about. Sure. You mix in the game, but the game is a proxy for deeper meaning. So parents, for instance, who have youth soccer players, yeah, they get entertained and yeah, they care about the game or whatever, but that's not the driving force. The driving force is the development of their kid, their development of their mind. You know, what, what is their kid going to ultimately become and how does this soccer thing influence the kid one way or the other? What kind of lessons are being learned from competition to whatever it is that They're not driven by soccer, as is evidence of that, especially here in the States. I've seen it so many times because we live so many cycles. When the kid ends up graduating from youth soccer or soccer in general, let's say they're not, they're not playing anymore. The parents aren't, the parents aren't tuning into soccer games or going to soccer matches or, um, they're not invested in the game. They, they're not going to galaxy games long after the kid is done playing and rooting or anything. They could yeah. give a shit. They could give they're a done. shit. 
because it's not about care. it's not about the sport. It's not about the game. It, it's all about all these other things. Yep. yep. Does that make sense? So that's why I care so much about you know you messaged me about the fifty million or you tweeted about the fifty million dollar donation and how can nobody see that there's a conflict of interest here, potential conflict of interest? We should be asking questions. That's why I jumped on this topic yep. and, and you know shared your post because that is something that matters. That is something that I care about. And it's quite telling, and I'll stop with this comment. It's quite telling that whenever something serious like this comes up that is not specifically about kicking a soccer ball related, i.e. like corruption, the defenders of the status quo and their poor brainwashed audiences will jump in with comments saying, dude, just chill. It's just a game, right? They always, that's like their last line of defense. Their bottom line is, yeah, calm down. It's just a game. You know, like yep. what's the big deal here? Yep. And that is the primary customer demo of soccer in America. It's that yep. person. It's yep. that person because they don't want you digging deep. They don't want you asking the important questions. They want the real reason that they're in soccer, you know, the, the yep. owners, all that stuff to never come to the surface really. For yep. no, I don't know. Hey, we're, we're not doing anything crazy. We're just, by the, it's just the game, guys. We're just putting on an entertainment product. We're just entertaining yeah. you guys. Like, there's no, nothing Messi's to see. Messi's here. Yeah. yeah. Hey, hey, everybody, come to the circus. Messi. Hey, yeah. Do, hey, we're going to go see him play. Pay $500 and he might not show up. Yeah. But, but even then, if you're a player on that team, you're like, damn, I don't mean shit. I, I'm just, I, I'm just yeah. me. I'm not even listening yeah. to it. But I'm like, damn, I don't mean nothing. Like, I don't know if there's a competitor to me and maybe I'm speaking wrong uh, and maybe some of the guys feel that way. Listen, they're all professionals. They all play at a higher level than I ever played. Much respect to them. So I yeah. want people to understand I'm not disrespecting them any kind of way. I'm just thinking when you think of things internally, you, you think of things of yourself. You, you want, I think all of us want to achieve something. I think it's great. Obviously, it'd be an incredible experience to play alongside Messi and see him and play and all that kind of stuff or even watch him play. That's great. Um, I do feel that we miss that there's like elements. There's so many elements that we're, we're missing out on. Like, like I said, there's, there's other cultures, other sports cultures in the U S that I think have just a different vibe, you know, a yeah. different mentality because they come from that little bit of hunger element that we talked about that just don't accept like, you know, something's happening in college football. Like I, I watched a college football game first time in 15 years the other day, last mm -hmm. night, the Colorado thing. Why? Because of Dion. Do I care about football? No. Right, like you said, right, that human right. element. Right, right. Uh, yeah. For me, black man standing up against everybody and saying, I'm going to be myself unapologetically. I am not doing anything that is wrong or disrespectful. Either if you don't like my culture, kiss my ass. That's yeah. what I'm saying. Yeah. So it resonates. So I'm like, oh, let me watch and see. Oh, can he can he do it? Can he keep it going and all that stuff? That is the the part that's drawing me in. It's the human, like you said, it's that yes. human element, that belief. Not about the game. It, it's is that, about that other stuff. The other stuff. That's what's drawing people in. And so it's kind of crazy. Like when I look at soccer, it's like, you know, I remember asking my players years ago, some had gone to DC and I had youth academy. I was like, Do you guys care about the playoff game you're about to have? No, are you going? I was like, how could you be a part of something that you're going to invest time, blood, sweat, tears in, and there's an apathy for it? Like, ah, it doesn't matter. 
Yeah, can I me. can I interject here before I forget about yeah. the Deion Sanders thing and, and college yeah, yeah. football specifically? Because college football is something that people bring up all the time. Oh, see, this is it's because it's been around and it's the number one sport in the country, and that's why the stadiums are full. There are alternate reasons and alternate explanations, which I think are the correct ones. One is they are more like clubs than MLS franchises because oh, yeah. they actually represent something. They represent a university and the student body of the university. And it's the student feel that sense of community and bonding. It, it actually means something like you're actually, you actually are part of a tribe at that point and you are fighting against other tribes and you made a life decision to invest four years of your life minimum uh, to go to this university, to get a degree. And you want to feel like you made the right choice and you're on the winning team versus having gone to another university and you want to feel better than the other tribe who made a different decision about their education or what campus to go to or, or whatever the case may be. And so when you, when USC goes against UCLA, you have all of those sentiments and feelings that are authentic and genuine um, yep. going against each other. And then you've got all the alumni of those two communities forever, forever until yep. their death, you know, wanting to be proven better than, than the opposing tribe because you actually have skin in that game and it actually means something, Kevin. And furthermore, they are separate entities. USC is a different entity, a different business altogether, different organ, different than UCLA. UCLA yep. can go bankrupt and it's, they're different entities. MLS yep. does not have clubs. It does not have any of that, that I just described. MLS, I repeat, and I'm going to keep repeating on many podcasts unapologetically. MLS is the club. It happens to have 28, 29, 30 teams. Yep. They're all the same. They're all the same. Yep. So you don't have what I just described in college football, for instance. Yep. That is why so many times in public, social media, the fans, whoever, they're always called MLS fans. It's, yeah. MLS fans is a term that is ubiquitous in discussing what's happening in the first division soccer here in the States. If you go to other countries, their discussions, they don't talk about, oh, I'm a La Liga fan. If you're in Spain, if you're a Spaniard, okay? You don't yeah. say, oh, we're La Liga fans here. Oh, La Liga this, La Liga that, La Liga the other thing. No, it's they talk about themselves and the ecosystem. Oh, you're a Barcelona yeah. fan. You're a Betis yep. fan. You're a Sporting Gijón. And they don't even say fans, supporters, because it's a different model. Like many of the clubs over there, the members have some degree of ownership and control over the clubs. They're separate entities, my friend. So when I say, or when you say that college football is, you know, that you have the young kids looking up and seeing oh, you're the quarterback of this team or that team and there's fame and notoriety almost for the rest of your life uh, because of it. It's because of that, Kev. Yeah. And, and, soccer, and soccer here will never be that so long as it's closed and one club owns the whole thing, the one club exactly. being less. Curiously, yeah. it's already, everything's related. Everything is related. So when Messi goes to different towns, that is why you see a huge percentage of the stadium of the locals rooting against their own quote unquote, own team and rooting team. for Messi. And, and you know what I'm saying? You're rooting for yeah. Messi and you're wearing Messi gear, Messi shirts and stuff because you are an MLS fan. 
You are an MLS supporter. You are not a Colorado Rapid person. You are yeah. not a Galaxy person, really. There might be some, you know, the supporters who for years now, you know, always get together and come up with chants and things of like that. But by and large, yeah, there's, there's people who are real. I know. Yeah, yeah, some. yeah. But by and large, the entire stadium is full with just people who are deciding whether to go to the movies or, or go watch this soccer game. That's what it's for. Yeah, we got some tickets. We got some tickets. Let's go today. Yeah, but and one more thing. Sorry. One more thing. Yeah. Because it's along the same lines. There was an uproar about, remember Nashville played Inter Miami and Dax McCarty, they lost. And, that, and Dax McCarty comes out on social media and shows Messi, that he got Messi's shirt. He's like, oh, well, um, not everything was a loss or, so, or something like that. Right? Yeah. right after the game, he does that. I think this was a semifinal of US Open Cup. Yeah. And some hardcore soccer people, and we're developing that. So that's, that's a good trend, right? That there, it, there seems to be more and more hardcore soccer people, like, like um, the young gentleman named Filippo who runs tactical manager. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he's got fire. He's got passion. He understands football and he, and he yeah. sees many of the things, not all, but he sees many of the things that are going on here and raises an eyebrow, but it takes a long time to see it deep, deep, deep. Anyways, there was a, a certain community of hardcores who kind of went at Dax McCarty for doing this. Like, seriously, you have a big smile on your face and you're waving Messi's shirt that you got after the game after you just lost. You just lost the match and you're taking a selfie, yeah. you know, smiling. Yeah. Bro, I'm sorry. Yeah. And that, that just shows you everything. And, and no, no, what shows you everything is then the, the media here coming out to his defense. Yeah. All just at one time getting to see Messi. Oh, you play, you want to do this and that. I'm like, man, watch these old videos of Maradona. These guys were trying to kill him. You know what I mean? Afterwards, they were talking like, oh, this great player, Maradona. But during the game and the mindset and that I want to be a winner, I want to compete. You know, that's, that's one of the things that I would say. Because, you know, interesting that you say that, like, we have a lack of us. In the States, I feel there's a lack of sense of community and togetherness. Just in general life. Like, we talk about life, everything. Because how things are constructed, because how life is moving. I feel, you know, I was in the States recently, oh, now six weeks ago. I felt it was a lack of community and togetherness. I felt, I feel things are there are very, very corporate. I feel people are very, very fake with each other. And what I mean by fake doesn't mean you need to be rude to people or whatever, but I just feel people aren't together. I think there's a lack of community. So this permeates throughout our whole society. So that's why something like MLS can keep going along those lines and say, hey, we don't need to create something that's real. That's something people can feel. You want to feel real passion, go to the, the Latin League on a Sunday night when the whole community is out there. And you'll see if Messi went to go play in a game at night there, he's getting cracked, man. I'm just trying to tell you they're going to crack him. <laughs> they're going to crack him. This is, this is what people understand, for real. He's going to get cracked. Y'all don't understand that. Y'all might not understand that. He's going to get crapped by his own people. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> I mean, he's going to kill him. He's going to score and do whatever thing he want to do. But at the same time, you're going to get somebody who's like, I'm not losing to this guy. And all it means is that there's some kind of like, when I say community, all this stuff, there's a certain type of pride that then comes with that. And then, then you connect the ecosystem. So there's the businessman who sees the opportunity, who connects it. And like, like I think we talked about this last, last podcast. So I see a lack of that. So even growing something that can match what's 
in South America, Africa, Europe, even in Asia, this what's being built. It's very hard because that community sense is not there. Yeah. Then when you don't have the community sense, then you say, okay, now we're just going to put organizations together and people are going to be like, yeah, just come, just come. You know, it's, it's, it's our city. Just come, we're building it. Just be there. There's not an emotional tie. There's not a, a connection tie. There's not a spiritual tie. And I think the only time that Americans really can semi feel that a little bit is when there's a world cup, right? Yeah. Or Copa America is going to happen. But still, you don't really feel that it's still like a huge disconnect, right? Because I there think is you have to really spend, uh, say again? There is some of it with the national team, but remind me to come back and make a point about that. Go ahead. Now. Yeah, there, there is some of it. I agree there is some of it, but it's it's something more like you're Argentinian, of course. So um, when you guys won the World Cup, there's 80-year-old grandpas and grandmas crying in the street. Right. Right. It meant something more. And of course, this cult stuff's cultural. So I'm not going to try to, to make it, you know. Kef, yeah. Kef, it's, but it's what we just discussed about like college football yeah. um, and, and what real club football is, what real clubs are. The national teams are that because the national teams actually are representing something beyond the sport. Something. It means yep. something. It means I'm an American or I'm an Argentinian, or I'm a Brazilian, and we're going to war against each other. We're basically simulating war at this yep. point through the proxy that happens to be this Sports. particular game. Yep. And so it's all your values, your culture, uh, your worldview, all these sorts of things are being represented at some level through this competition of- yep distinct entities that represent different things. And so in Argentina, for example, because you brought them up, yeah, you can see like the 80-year-old crying or it means so much to everybody because it's basically, it's not that you're saying a fuck you to the world, but you are kind of relieving some of that internal pressure to the world that way. Like here we are, we mean something, you know, yeah. uh, don't ignore us or we might suck at a whole bunch of things, but we're your daddy in this particular yeah. realm. Um, yeah. and there is some of that here with us soccer, the U S men's national team, because I think that's the only vehicle through which the MLS fan base actually feels something, something, you know, they actually oh, yeah. They, they actually feel something from the national team for that reason. Yeah. And, and th th there's consequence and you have to earn your place from a national team perspective. You don't automatically qualify for the world cup. You have to yep. earn. And yep. then you don't automatically move on, you know, from the group state, you have to earn it. You have to earn everything. Um, there's a, there's a struggle. Run. There's, exactly. a struggle. there's a struggle. There's a struggle. There's a struggle and a goal. And that's, that's, and so, that's the thing. We're not appreciating. We aren't creating that, sh that struggle, that need that that's what creates that love, that passion, right? Because why you love something, right? It's because you're afraid to lose it or mm -hmm. you go through something and let you know that you really love it because you didn't give up on it. Right. And I think that we have such a huge disconnect 
with how the system has been currently set up. And so we don't create that tie, that love, that connection, which then is the driving force to everything else. There has to be risk of failure. Otherwise you can't, you can't generate that sense of emotion or that sense of struggle unless there's risk of failure. And two, but real failure, not something like, oh, we didn't make the playoffs. We'll see you next year. Like that's like, come on. That's not, that's not the risk of failure. That's like whatever. Risk of failure. Yep. Yep. That's like whatever. That's like whatever. Okay. Real failure is like getting relegated. Then it's like, there isn't next. I'll see you next year. It's like, oh, I don't know when we'll be back ever. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Like, holy shit. Like this is, this is legit, legit. Uh emotional swing and then when you make it back Catherine, to the first division that fan base that supporter base is that much more connected with the club because we've been to the belly of the beast the depths of hell for instance and we had to earn it to get back here yeah and the team and the club had to rely on its supporter base to get back to the first division like you like you actually played a real part in getting somewhere and earning something like the fans, those supporters yep. are actually part of earning it. So they yep. feel I'm a, so much more connected. I'm, I'm, in, I'm a part of it. I'm really a part of it. I mean something, you mean something we're pulling all together towards this. And, and man, I wish I could, we could talk to some pro players. I wish, I wish you could talk to them and say, do you feel passionate about the MLS franchise that you play for? Really? No chance, bro. No chance. That, that, I would no love chance. to see the real answer. Like, how much do you, not that you just, okay, I like the play. I like the city and all that stuff. But like, do you feel the tie? And why don't you feel that towards the other? And don't just use time. Oh, well, this has been around longer yeah. or this is this. Like, mm-hmm. there's, a, there's a feeling. Like, when I, like I said, when I was on trial doing stuff in Europe, I felt a totally different emotional tie that the fans and supporters showed me. That was totally, like, it was totally different in the States. And I'm just saying, and you can find that. Listen, when I'm in Colombia at Santa Rosa and they're bringing 40 boys from the barrios off the bus, guess who I see all the time? There's three or four guys age 50 to like 75 years old getting off the bus. They manage the boys. They've been doing this their whole, you know, they care about these boys. They're like, hey, which one are you going to help go get to Europe? Like, it's, this is who they are. You get what I mean? This is who are, it's, it's like tied together. You know, it's like a, it's like an emotional, it's a connection. And that's why I think the players severely miss. And that's why I think when they come over here, they need to understand that they're connecting with a group of people. And so it means something. And if you can really grasp that you're connecting with a group of people and that you represent their values, you represent where they're trying to go, you represent their aspirations. That gives you a extra motivation, also even bigger, extra responsibility that you will not feel in U.S. soccer. You will not feel in MLS. And this is beyond someone sending you a message on Facebook or Insta. You know, we're talking about something where there's a whole ecosystem behind you being driven. Talk shows, uh, uh, the, the cafe worker, you can be ruining someone's day, you know, like, Bro, you lost the Derby. Oh my God. Like, you know, imagine you're an AC Milan fan. You're going yeah. to work on Monday. Yeah. You're freaking, and you're next to the Inter Milan guy. You're done. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and I, th- you know what I mean? It's not, 
but it means more than even, you know, U.S. sports, I think they have it a little bit in some sports. They have a little bit, but not to the extent that we're talking about. And, and like I said, I think it comes down to society, community, how things are in the, currently in the States. I really feel there's a lack of that. I feel there's a lot of just, we do it just to do it. Yeah. Yeah, totally. I see a lot of, honestly, and I know we're going a different direction. I see a lot of zombie-like tendencies in the States. Yeah, man. No, yeah, 100%, dude. I, I don't know what else to add to that. You said that there's some of that in American sports. We talked about the college one. If you think about the NFL, oh, the NFL just started the season. The bars are playing the games. People are going, having a good time, drinking, wearing the jersey, supporting. Certainly, there's a lot more emotion there than in yeah. MLS. Okay, certainly. Yeah. But... And there are countless stories of NFL fans or Americans in general who travel internationally and go to a soccer game, a football match, whether it be Boca Juniors, whether it be Betis, whether it be Madrid, whether it be the second division somewhere, having that experience and saying, holy shit, this puts like NFL fans and supporters and atmosphere and environment to shame, to shame. 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 So, so while there is something, you know, at NFL stadiums or whatever, more than American soccer, it's not to the same intensity or degree again, because the connection is not maximized. There was no, there's no risk and no suffering as much as what happens soccer worldwide, dude. Yeah. The investment is a little bit, it's just different. I don't, like I said, it's just amplified. doesn't mean that it's well, it is better. I think soccer, soccer engagers is better. Um, and it's all because of how the connection, the, the connection also from spiritual to community to business is better. And that, and, and it's, it's still it's, entertainment. It's, it's yeah, still, it's still entertainment. And NFL is still like an entertainment product, you know, and yeah. that impacts the level of intensity that people can have uh, with the product. If it really, if it's just mostly an entertainment product, it's like going to the movies. It's just something to do. And well, I, you know what? Don't get me wrong. There's more, there's a little, there's more to it, but it's, you but know, I think, I think what does the I Cincinnati think, Bengals represent? Like what values and cult, you know what I'm saying? And culture and, and yeah. politics does the Cincinnati Bengals represent? No, it doesn't, it doesn't represent it. Well, we got to get a Cincinnati fan on here and they, they'll go wild on us. Right. <laughs> but no, I'll, I'll say this, I'll say this. Um, I think you, like you said, it re represents something. I think when we break down and we look at these clubs, we see how that connection line, the ecosystem, how everybody is invested in some kind of level. And at U.S. sports, it's mainly pay your ticket. It's, 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 it's money, right? So let's take Chelsea, Todd Bowley. Let's take the Glazers, right? Two clubs that are currently struggling, two clubs that have spent a lot of money. Well, that's what the owners are mostly focused on, making money. So the focus is, is making money. The soul of the club. You see the people. What do you hear the Manchester United fans talk about? The soul of the club. Chelsea, they spend all this money. The soul, the connection of the club. There's something missing. And that's what you see from clubs that are ran properly is, not, is that they're able to get all these pieces together and able to get people to buy in. And I guess back to our corruption talk first with the U.S. soccer. You are not getting all of us, not, not saying you need 100% all of us bought in, but you need some connection that 
draws us all together. So if this is a national training center, make it nationally funded. Not just, oh, there were some private partners, there were this yeah. partner, this partner. No, no, make it nationally funded. You, you know what Holland did? And I, I don't know, KVB, they get a lot of criticism, by the way. I mean, I know people here, they always start criticizing it. But I'll say this. They did something like when they won the um, second place in the World Cup in 2010 against Spain. They took all that prize money and they gave it to every amateur club in Holland. Wow. Right? Wow. Um, they do a lot do of stuff kind of, you know, like out of all their problems, and trust me, they got a whole bunch of issues and everything as well. There's still some kind of, there's a connection piece. And you could come in, obviously you've been to Holland. You could come in, and I know you weren't at the amateur clubs. You were at a, a much higher level. But if you would spend time at the amateur clubs, you would see two, 200 to 500 people show up to support the club. You would see all different ages there. You see young boys watching, old boys watching. And, and you would you would just see, you would feel some kind of connection. And if somebody decided a business opportunity came, like, I want to make something bigger, and he's able to garner and get people to go, or she or whoever, that's all we want. And that's why world football around the world has been able to build. And we're not going to consistently compete until it's that. So I guess to answer the question also with parents, parents, your kids are not in this environment. They don't have this connection. They don't have the connection. Any MLS cup, they do not have that connection. They may show up to games. They may say they love it. They may say they care. Great. But it's not going to be the same level. And it's not based on history. It's just based on, uh, upon, like you said, is there something that can be lost? Is there some suffering or shame as well as the victory? It's, it's the same as the, the victory and the shame are like the same. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like that level of emotion can be, you can be down or you can be up. And when that risk is there, that drives you to certain levels that can't be explained. Yeah, man. And in big part, we talked about the U.S. national team kind of fulfilling a little bit of that for a particular segment of the fan base, but it doesn't, it doesn't for me. It does not. I, I don't feel connected to yeah. the U.S. national team. I'm American, born and raised here my whole life. Uh, Brian has put his blood, sweat and tears into trying to help the national team, trying to help U.S. soccer. Um, I've done the same. Well, albeit they might not see it that way. I definitely have done the same. Not the same as Brian, in a very different way. But I don't feel connected to them, dude. Um, since the beginning, and this is not a recent thing. I, I wrote my first article publicly in 2009. So we're approaching 15 years. So it's not current events, which is what people want to point to. Current events that drove me in this direction of wanting to change everything right and start fresh or something no i was talking about this in 2009 publicly before then but publicly mm -hmm. in 2009 i'm not they don't represent me they don't represent my values they say the right things but they do all the wrong things it's their actions that speak it's their actions that demonstrate oh these are not I want to be careful. I say these are not good people. Like I said before, it's just the incentives that exist due to the structure that drive people to make certain types of decisions, questionable decisions and decisions, yeah, in many numbers, case, right? decisions that in many cases I would say are, are devoid of integrity, lack ethics, 
uh, are morally questionable. I mean, all these bad stuff. So when the national team rolls out there and is going to go compete, I don't feel they represent, I mean, nothing against the players. The players have nothing to do with it. It's the organization and what it represents. It doesn't represent yeah. me. Exactly. No, I, I 100% I get what you mean. I mean, I'll, so, I'll celebrate them, especially during the World Cup. I'll celebrate and we score, we do something. And I, I, for some reason, a little bit of that patriotism hits me. Maybe because parents were in the military, so I have a little bit of something mm. that hits mm. me. But I, I get what you mean. It's, um, I think the people who started this saw big money opportunity, especially after the 94 World Cup. They saw the numbers. I mean, you see the numbers, most attended World Cup ever. Yeah. So they must have been like, wow, we can take advantage of that, which is, I wouldn't say that's bad, right? I would just say, okay, good. You see that you can, you can make a league, you could do something. It, it just goes against the ideals. And, and like you said, if you give a, if you give an opportunity for someone to control something, no one's going to want to relinquish power. Of course. Right? Of course. Yeah. I would not, trust, I would not trust myself with power either. I'm, I'm being sincere. Takes a lot of willpower. It takes an, I think, an extraordinary human to have the power and and, and say, no, I'm not going to wield it. You know, I'm going yeah. to be good. I'm allow others. I'm going to allow others to take my uh, have a potential to take my kingdom. No, most yeah. people set set up the fortress. So the mindset we understand is there. It's just that the governing body, like we said, the governing body. And so I'm I'm just with you, man. I think it's um, there's a reason because we were talking about quote unquote potential corruption or whatever. There's a reason also there's so many lawsuits against US soccer from Rocco Camiso, the owner of the Cosmos, and you know, he wanted to get either into MLS or propose like a five hundred million dollar I mean, I don't know all the details, but there's a lawsuit there. There's a antitrust lawsuit. There's a lawsuit from Relevant Sports, which was also the marketing agency who wanted to bring oh, over yeah, I remember that. Some, they used to do the games. Yeah, they well they they started this whole thing through Champions World of hosting Manchester United, Real Madrid, Inter Milan yeah. during the summer here for friendlies, and yeah. they systematically got run out of town uh, one way or another. They also wanted to, uh, they were working to host La Liga matches, official La oh, Liga wow. matches here in the United States, and yeah. U.S. Soccer shut that down one way or another. Um, it, it's just a question: Why would you shut that down? Number one, if somebody wanted to come play La Liga games here in the United yeah. States, I mean, the most obvious reason you would not want that is because MLS doesn't want that, you know? And so, yeah, and so again, and so here again, the question of is our federation actually independent or uh, just a puppet of MLS comes top of mind. It's like, are you doing the bidding of MLS or are you an independent, uh, nonprofit, organization looking out for the best interests of all its community members. Cause I would see that as a positive thing to quote unquote, grow the game also, because you're bringing an attraction to the United States markets. Hey, Real Madrid is going to play Betis in San Diego next week, you know, for their 15th fixture of La Liga. It's like, it seems weird. It seems unconventional. I get it. And, and it's business. I get it. But the fact that they just shut that down is a curiosity. And now they have a lawsuit on their hands. Yeah. I mean, there's so much, but like I said, I think they, they won their ultimate goal. They got the 2026 world cup, right? Yeah. And yeah. Like, they got the, I mean, listen, there's no questions that are going to be asked. The journalists aren't going to do this. I mean, oh. you see journalists reporting 
And I, I'm going to go through their Twitter sheets. I want to see if anybody, any journalist questions the 50 million, is it a conflict of interest? Yes or not? Bro, I mean, has just any... doing a piece like that should be easy. It should, even if you don't want to put your neck on the line, it should be like, hey, is it a conflict of interest? And just ask people's opinion. You yeah. know what I mean? Like, don't just, as you see the report, hey, yeah, so we're going to get a contribution. Great. Blah, blah, blah. Great news as normal. And it's like, we go on these things. Okay. Oman and Uzbekistan, is that the right teams that we should be playing? There should be pressure on these things. Not so that it's like, oh, I'm right and you're wrong. It's more just, it helps. Uh, it's like a survey. You do a business and then someone gives you a survey or, or someone says, hey, this is how you can improve. We should have that in the organization. You know, we should have that pressure coming from, like you said, those journalists, journalists who are right. Journalists, journalists. They're supposed, yep. they're supposed, this is what they're supposed to do, dude. These guys went to school for journalism. Like, what, what the fuck are they teaching there? I don't think they're teaching journalists to be propagandists because that's what we have here. We don't have journalists. We have propaganda guys. That is what they are. They are cheerleaders for the establishment. And they are, in my opinion, basically just parasites. The establishment, the MLS owners, MLS, credit to them for building something. They are builders, Catherine, and I respect it from the bottom of my heart. They're billionaires. I have nothing against billionaires. They built something. But it's these parasites whose charter is to kind of unearth the truth and speak truth to power that don't do that. Um, they're just fucking feeding off of the fruits of others' labor. If I'll put, Bro, it's been a month and a half since that one kid, his desperate mother posted on Instagram, yeah. oh, my kid they went to try out for an MLS Academy and they wanted him, but apparently... Kansas City owns my son, even though he never played for Kansas City and he doesn't want to play for Kansas City. And it was a, the plea of a mother who has realized what this system does and how it's yep. impacted her child. And I haven't, I, it's been a month and a half or however long, I have not come across a single article by any journalist on this issue. Yeah. Completely uh, you ignored. Know what, you know what we should do? Show her she do on Twitter. We should, we should, <laughs> the journalists, you know, I'm down. I don't care. Okay. Yeah. Someone like me, someone don't, I don't care. But we should say, could you guys send us a list? Cause we're going to be doing podcasts or whatever. We're going to talk about it. Mm -hmm. Can you send us a list of things that you think U.S. soccer need to improve on or that you wrote on that mm -hmm. are conflicts of interest that mm -hmm. need improvement, things that you feel that they're doing right. All these things, because ultimately, you know, even just for education purposes, even for myself, I don't want to speak too much. Like I said, when I saw the Arthur Blank thing, I don't know if you know, like on Twitter, I only been speaking shit about Arsenal and just messing around. I haven't been, you know, back years ago, I was always kind of debating these kind of topics and things, but now I've been chilling. But this, this Arthur Blank thing got me kind of worked up, right? Because I was like, what? I was like, you know, I'm from Atlanta. I have no problem with the training center being there. I don't care at all. You know what I mean? It doesn't matter to me. Like, Could you imagine if Chelsea Football Club said, hey, I'm, we're going to build yeah. a national training center for the FA, bro. Near Cobham. <laughs> Arsenal would be like, what? Wait, 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 wait. You guys, are, are we all in? But it, 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 just think about it as well. This is what people don't understand about training centers and all this stuff. Okay, Atlanta United. Okay, Atlanta United was one of the first, I think they were, were they the second or the third that they to really build a facility for players, like a big time facility. Cause I know it was Salt Lake did something, right? I don't remember. 
But Atlanta, Atlanta was one of the first ones. Atlanta was like probably, I mean, it might even be the best facility out of everyone. Probably is. But they used it for right? the Falcons too. Yeah, the, the a brand new stadium. But I mean, like the training facility. You ever been down there? The, oh, uh, oh, oh. No, I, I have not been to Atlanta's place. Nope. Okay, so I've been there. It's, it's, it's not very nice. Like Europe, all the fixings, everything. Like we said, with the training centers, what is it going to do? Name me the top talent to come out of Atlanta United's academy since that has been built. And what level do they play? What's the highest level they play? Well, they, everybody- Can you name a player? Told, well, yeah. Everybody told me, they tried to beat it into my head that Andrew Carlton was a world-class caliber potential. Mm -hmm. And yeah. where is he at now? Playing USL and not even lighting up USL, just like invisible within USL. Mm -hmm. uh, to answer your question. Yeah, to, okay. So I'm, I'm just looking up real quick right now as we're talking. Like who are the homegrowns at Atlanta United? I mean, maybe the one who we can talk about the most is uh, Bello, the outside back, who okay. homegrown. Played as an 18-year-old, yeah, 18-year-old uh, season or two at Atlanta. Got a lot of minutes. Did okay. Got his transfer to Europe. And I think he's currently, like, stuck in the third division of Germany. I forgot what. Okay, club. got it. So, the, all right. So, I got the date it was opened. April 2017. So, it's been six years. Um, obviously, we had a little bit of COVID. We know for, like, a year, year and a half. There's probably haven't been much operations. So like we said, training facilities, all this stuff. So, so the reason they're going to build it is going to grow U.S. soccer, right? So in the Atlanta area, what has it really grown to compete at the global level? Because you have a market of, I don't know how many people are in the Atlanta area, but I, I think it's anywhere between three to five million people. Might even be more. I, I, I need to check it out. But I, it's in the millions, right? A couple million at least a couple million people in the Atlanta area. No competition until Charlotte, which is Charlotte's like, well, I want to say like two, three hours away, or maybe even more. I don't know, two, three, four hours away. Below you, the next competition is Orlando, which is another six, seven, eight hours, maybe even more. What else you got in Nashville? So I'm saying you have a huge area of talent. You have a, a facility that's a, they, they put it a world-class training facility. So you should have been, and this is not to go on any coaches, you should have been able to find, identify, and develop a talent that can play at a top level. I'm saying that as these are the type of pressures that should be on everyone within that academy. It should be within everyone in that soccer ecosystem. It should be within every single one to want to produce that. No shit, Gary, like, I think about myself, like, even with Joe, I'm like, bro, we were dealing with maybe at max 90 to 120 players, right? Maybe max. One of the girls in our academy, she didn't even play for us that long, but she was in our academy. And when I went to Hall and her brother ended up playing for AZ Hawkmore because they, they moved there and played there. She's starting for Ajax, man, at 16 years old. Lillian, she's starting for Ajax. Yeah. You know what the message was? And listen, I didn't even have her that long. I don't even try to claim her as a player or whatever. My point is, is that the message was always, we're here to produce pros. We're here to produce pros. The pressure was coming from us every day talking like, hey, we're here to produce pros. We're here to do this. We're here to do this. 
even to some of the players that made it pro, like Teddy Kudapitro, right? He was only with us till 12, but we were talking about pro all the time. At nine years old, when he was nine, I sent him on trial with FC Groningen when he was 11. And we're saying, hey, you got to go there. You got to be in Europe. You got to be pushing it. You got to be pushing it. Other players that are going to be turning pro. It was the message. It was the mentality. It was like a whole fabric, a whole being. And everybody said, yo, you're crazy. What are you talking about? Why are you guys doing this with soccer? Why are you saying this? These kids, why are you guys talking about pro? Why are you doing this? Why are you doing this? It's all because of what I saw overseas that made me push this hard over here. So my point is, is it's not about me. I'm, I'm saying when you're a competitor and you want to achieve something, it is not even about these resources that we're talking about. It's not even about the money and all those things. It is the drive, will, and desire that pushes people to a certain level, that pushes you to say, okay, we need these resources because this is the goal. This is what we're trying to achieve. So Atlanta already has a training center that you could have U.S. players going to use. It's a building. It's a hollow building. It's just a building. It's, a, it's, a, it's, it's land. But what makes it work is the people. And so, when, like I said, when disconnecting the people like we're doing, we're just having hollow buildings and hollow things. And, oh, they're going to build this facility. We're going to do that. That's, that's easy. But we're not having the message, the spirit, that the mentality. That is not being pushed. And so we're getting players and they're getting over and they're like, oh, this, oh man, this is a little bit too hard. I'm not ready. I want to go home. And, it, 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 and so for me, I'm just, I just don't think when I hear people say grow the game, I'm like, bro, I was like, how do I know all these kids? Like, and I know other coaches, how many, like, how did you guys have six or seven people? Like, think about the resources you guys had. How did you have six or seven players on the youth national team? Why is that possible? With the resources you guys had, with the resources that you know others had compared no, to the, you uh, yeah i didn't want to say it but yeah brian's in much similar to what you described brian was at a rinky dinky non-pro club the resources resources my my ass okay it's just <laughs> go out field. Rec recruit find who you think the best players are bring them together train them not not just train them quote unquote the right way, okay, and a touchy subject there, but more important is what you said is the passion, the desire to work to the bone and communicate to the players, why are we here and be on a mission together and know how to squeeze every last drop of juice from every player and have them have fun while doing that but at maximum intensity. And yeah, he built the absolute best thing that existed in the country at the time at the U9, U10, U11, U12, U13 level, but every single age group, Kefren, it wasn't just one, every age group. And then yes, at, you know, at U13, okay, Chivas USA, MLS, the academy got kind of formed and you know, Brian took the core of his guys over there and yes, infrastructure is helpful, but infrastructure is not what made those players professionals. It is not what made those players professionals. Infrastructure can help. Infrastructure can help platform you and be more visible to the next level. No question about that. But the development, all of it came from inside. Like you say, it's the people. It's who is doing the work. 
you can have this national training center. And then if you staff it with a bunch of, with all due respect, mediocre staff, you know, not the, not the best in the world, not the peps, not the Ancelotti's, not the guys who have fire and not, you know, we don't have, it doesn't have to be the highest profile managers or anything. It could be the manager of Cameroon or somebody in, in Oman who's working at an academy, but he's, he's got the fire inside and he has the know-how and the intensity or whatever. If those are the, or in Colombia, you know, where you visited if you don't have those types of personalities with the capabilities, obviously congregated at the national training center, the output of the product is, is not going to be great. It, the output of the product is going to be the same as what you put into it. And exactly. Yep. Build empty build buildings and grass and nice uh, painting stripes on the field or whatever. Uh, if, if, or if, next, if people next level GPS technology or whatever is not going to make you and, a world class player or team. And people and and listen, you know a big thing, Gary. People who try to protect themselves instead of be the best version of themselves. And this is what you see at a lot of these these youth clubs and all that stuff. When people used to see as a saw us as a threat as Joga back in the day, where I'm like, why do you guys care about us? I'm like, bro, we got like one little small field. We have nothing. The, the problem is the reason why you're scared is because you're meet you're meeting someone who's fucking real, who's authentic, who wants this, who who says a message totally different than you, who has a totally different mindset, who has this, you know, all the stuff that's like, oh street soccer this and, and training this, and I was like. All it was, was we built a culture. We built something that was a culture, you know, not a cult, but a culture, right? But exactly what well, a mindset, a, a mentality that again, like you said, with leaders that come up, everyone said it was crazy. Everyone said it was crazy. And then when we started doing it, then everyone said, well, if you're not doing it, then you're not really with the program. And that's what's. The, the potential in the state, I always tell, I tell a lot of European people, I'm like, you know, in America that the, let's say, I, I don't, I hate the word elite and top youth player and all that stuff, but like, let me just use it for the case of this. So everyone sure. can kind of grasp it. Right. For the, the elite youth, young player in the U S is training more than the kid in Europe. What mm -hmm. I mean is they're spending way more hours on a pitch with a trainer training, like. I saw kids from a camp, they, they train at a camp, then they're going to train again and they're going to do and I was like, that's not happening in Europe. <laughs> and I'm not saying that they're, you know, still, there's still a little element of street ball. It's gone away. It's not as big as it used to be, but there's still that element. But what the kids have here a little bit more, and I think what they have, especially even more in South America and in Africa, is that will, is that desire to do something in the game. It's passion, bro. It's passion. It's passion. The word gets used way too often for the wrong things, but this yep. is what you're discussing. This is what you're describing. It's fucking passion. It's passion. Yeah, it's, exactly. And, like you, and you know, Dana yep. White, I retweeted this thing with Dana White saying, oh, nowadays everybody's so soft. If you even are a little bit of a savage, you'll eat everybody's lunch or something. Yeah. yeah, to that. yeah, yeah. And they're asking, where does that come from? Is that something that can be trained or something? And I think he's a wise person, uh, lots of experience around elite level athletes all the time, you know, for decades. He's like, man, you either got it or you don't. Nature versus nurture. We touched on this a little bit about, oh, what can we as coaches or as a team or as a club do to maybe develop the mentality and blah, 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 blah. It's like, we can try. Maybe you can make some marginal improvements. 
maybe you can steer the player away from being a complete fuck up, you know, but to be top level. Yeah, man. I think he's right. It's either in you or it's not. I don't know. It is. It is like, like like you said, it's that passion piece that comes out. Like you just want to be something like the player pushes it. You know what I mean? And forget the the player, even the coaches, even the coaches. So we're talking national training center here and the people who, who's going to be working there. Do these people, do these coaches, do these technical staff, do these analysts, do these business people, do they have it? Do they really have it inside? Are they there on a fucking mission full of passion? Like this is what matters in the world. Man, I don't think so, dude. Hey, you know what, Gary? You know what's crazy? It's so crazy. So I've started the Joga Academy here again in Holland, right? So I'm, my son's at this amateur club. And it's so funny. Like, I said to myself, I'm like, I'm pushing everyone in a direction. Even at this amateur club, which isn't the most organized or small, but I'm pushing everyone in my direction. I'm like, okay, before practice, we got to meet 30 minutes before you're with me. They were doing this. And then I'm like, all right, I'm training three days a week, two hours a day. And like, what? And then we're doing two days a week futsal. And then like, they're like, damn. Like last year, I was just like, relaxed, just that. And now all of a sudden, it's like pushing it. And all I'm pushing is just culture. And then every day, every, pretty much every day after dinner, especially when the sun's out and everything, oh, we're going to the craft court. We're going to street soccer. Yeah. Oh, and they're like, man, you guys are there all the time. You're doing this, you're doing this. And I kept telling them, it's culture, it's culture. All it is, is culture. It's just somebody pushing it, someone with a desire. And I was like, you just do it. Trust me, it comes along. And like you're saying, who at the, is there going to be people at the top who are very passionate about what they do? Because one thing I'm going to tell you right now is there's going to be good friction and bad friction. Good friction is you take someone out of their comfort zone and they, and, and if you have the right intentions, they'll, they'll follow you, but you'll, you'll get them out of their comfort zone. They'll be like, a little bit, ah, you know, but they'll follow you. The bad friction is you get these people who you find out who they really are and either you win the power struggle or you lose the power struggle. And that's, what's going to be very interesting as these programs keep pushing forward. Is there going to be someone like Hugo Perez, who the players that he suggested, that he recommended, not only did they go pro, they play in Champions League. And he was run out. He was run out of the Federation. He was run out of the Federation. So to me, all these other coaches who are coming in, I know they don't control. I know they don't obviously don't control how far players go. They only get some chance with that. But, that, but I mean, from if, if I'm coming in that system, he's the litmus test. Mm-hmm. Can my teams play in a certain way? Can my teams be identified? Can my player, because that's a part of your name, your lineage, like people are are drawing like, man, Hugo was picking these guys and looking at this differently and doing these things differently and doing that thing differently. And he ran into the bad friction, right? So that means you also have to be strong enough like him to run into the bad friction and lose, but also gain. That's the thing I'm thinking. Or are you kind of go along, get along where you're like, I'm in here and I just want and to then, protect myself. But then, but then you compromise your work. If you, if you go that, along with the program, you can't actually do the good work. That's what, that's exactly, what, exactly. That's what people get wrong. People think that you can do the same work, do, do the, be still amazing and remarkable at your job and be that go along sort of guy. 
you can't, Kevin, I'm telling you, man, and yep. I've read a lot of biographies also, and I've lived it. I am of the strong opinion. You can't do that. You can't do the good work. It you have to go against. It gets compromised. Yep. It gets, yep. it, it, it will become mediocre and, and shit, frankly, if you lower your head and just go along with the program and not ruffle any feathers and play the political game. This is also why so many of the vastly successful entrepreneurs or people who aren't entrepreneurs also, stories come out of, oh, he's an asshole or he's a slave driver or he's too intense or he expects too much or uh, he doesn't get along well with people or he doesn't get along well with groups and he's always going against the grain, kind of painting this bad narrative around people yeah. like Steve Jobs or Elon Musk or Sir Alex Ferguson, or Pep Guardiola, or Jose Mourinho. All, there's a whole basket of the hyper-successful who have actually moved the species a little bit further, civilization just a little bit further. Um, and it was sheer force of will and uncompromising in all ways. It's, they have a vision. They think they have to do X, Y, and Z to execute that vision. And no, fuck you. If I'm going to just oh, you know what, let me give them this battle or let, let me, you know, make them feel good about themselves and accept this mediocre work just to get along, you know. If you do that, you're not fulfilling your mission. It's over. Yeah, yep. You gotta, yeah, it's interesting that just, <laughs> man, there's so many ways to go with this. And that, like you said, it's the, the work, the passion in your life, you know, how much you draw from it. I mean, this whole thing, Kevin, I'm sorry. I'm going to keep going. I'm on fire now. This whole thing about, oh, if you want change, you got to change it from the inside. So you got to, you know, play the politics and get in on the inside. And then you change it from the inside and you, you can't be from the outside to change things. Man, that is a great story to tell, to keep power. It's a great story to tell, to preserve power because then you eliminate the competition. No, no, no. Yeah. If you want to change things, you got to go work for the very thing that you are trying to depose. You got to go yeah. work for that. Are you, like, nope. Think about that for a second. No, no, no. If you want to change things, don't compete against the thing that you want to change. Actually go work for the people that you think shouldn't be the people. Are you fucking mad? Who? And, and, and so many of us fall for that shit. We yeah. all fall for it. Oh, change it from the inside. Bro, that's not how this shit works. If you look at almost any ecosystem, any domain of an economy, advancement happens through competition. It does not happen internally. If yep. organizations have to feel threatened by something to change and to improve, exactly. you don't. Why, why you do you lose weight? Why do you lose weight? The doctor says, hey, you're about, why do you lose weight? Exactly. Hey, shit, I better start running. Let me leave you with this. I know it's been like three hours at this point. Man, my, my editor is going to destroy me. He's going to say, fucking Gary, three hours. Are you fucking? <laughs> Let's do it. But, but listen, um, to put a bow on this whole potential conflict of interest slash corruption donation of $50 million by the Atlanta United franchise owner by MLS uh, for the National Training Center. It's quite curious when this whole thing of we're searching or we need to search for a new men's national team head coach position that the media, which are Muppets of the establishment, 
would throw out the narrative of, oh, U.S. soccer doesn't have the money for a top-level coach. So, guys, what are we – just stop suggesting that we go after – because Mourinho, I think, was free at that time. I I, I don't know. There was a, There's a lot of top – Elsa was for yeah. sure was free. Yelsa was 100% free. Tata Martino was just out of Mexico, and there's a whole anti-Tata Martino narrative going on at the moment also. But there was a lot of top, top caliber potential candidates. And the media just got ahead of it and said, hey, we can't go after these candidates. U.S. soccer doesn't have the money. They're broke. And my counter was always like, they have the money. And if they don't have the money in their treasury, they can get the money. They can get the money. It's not that hard to get in America to five, raise six, money. Seven, 10 million a year or whatever for the, the best of the best. And if you want to be the best of the best, if you truly want that, you'll go and do it. Well, look, 50 million, poof. They found the, the money's there. 50 million, yep. poof, for a national training center. So we could have gotten the money for a national team head coach. The, the real issue is that somebody like Blank or MLS wouldn't help that cause because a real coach at the national team level won't put up with their bullshit. Oh, yeah, yeah. They need somebody in the pocket. That's, that's the real reason. It's not that U.S. soccer didn't or couldn't get the money for somebody legit. It's Greg Berhalter was the guy from the very beginning. This whole thing of a search for a national team coach and who oh, candidacy yeah. we're going to interview and all. Please. What a sham, man. What a yeah. sham. I'll say this to, to add on to that before we have to roll. It's leverage, right? You bring like a Jurgen Klopp or a Pep Guardiola, Jose. That leverage. They don't need it from Correct. You. So Correct. that means they come in, they're going to speak their mind. They're going to be like, like kind of like Clemson. Clemson came in, said some things that challenged the system, right? And they were like, wait, 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 this is going too far. And what people got to understand is that even with a lot of the players who come into MLS at play, like I heard, you know, somebody knew Terry Henry and Robbie Keane back in the day. They were at an MLS event when they were playing there. And uh, the guy is American guy that came up and uh, Terry Henry was talking to him and then Robbie Keane was coming up and Robbie Keane was like, oh, kind of wanted to talk. And then Henry's like, no, no, he's good. He's good. He's good. You can speak your mind. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And they were speaking a lot of stuff about what's happening in the league and certain things. And listen, I understand. It's like, you know, it's your employer. Um, if you speak bad on them, that also leads to, you know, hey, I'm not just going to hire you again, which I, I kind of get. You know what I mean? It's like, yeah, I don't 100%. know if I would hire someone who came and said, hey, Joker's crap and Kevin's crap. And totally, I, I'd totally. probably be a little bit against it. And so I get it. I get it. It's just that when everything, um, because like I said, it's, it's only that's this one company, this one family who runs and controls everything, which stops you from building everything. Then it's like, wow, it gets even worse, that type of mentality. And, and so, yeah, I mean, we could get a top coach. We all know that we could, but for them, I think the victory is look, get us to the quarterfinals. If you get us to the semis, that's even amazing. You know what I mean? If you get us to a final, we'll go crazy, but it's 2026 world cup. It's in America. They're going to, everybody who's invested is going to make a lot of money. A lot of power, a lot of power brokers. They won. That's yeah. in their head. That's what they they won. When I said when they got that World Cup, that was it. That for them to solidify themselves, that was for them it to ride into the sunset. So I think 
it's and and then with the election that happened, I think it's um it's going to be hard to shift people's mindsets because right now, like also like Copa America next summer is in America, so everyone's going to get excited. Like, I mean, listen, I think that's great. I mean, we should be in these events anyway, so everyone's going to see Copa America in America, see Messi, see Neymar playing in the states, playing in a real competition. Then you're going to get the World Cup in about you know two years later. So I mean. This is where we are, but maybe we'll go back to this podcast and Gary in about eight years from now, after this World Cup 2030, and then let's have a conversation and see where we're at. And we're going to have the same conversation. Bro, and it, and it's fine. And I get that and have always been prepared for things to take 10, 20, 30, 40, and maybe even beyond my lifetime to change. But things change, Kevin. Even things that everybody says, Things will never change or it is what it is. No, everything comes to an end at some point. And yes, it's difficult. might take a long time, but it can go on forever. As you know, there's so many tangents and, and angles and you're a rare breed, Kef. There's not many people I can tolerate for three hours. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, man. I appreciate no, you. <laughs> no, bro, because you get it. You get it. And. It's not what, like we're aligned on everything. We have our disagreements. We disagree on certain things, but since it comes from the right place and the agenda is an agenda of being real, then that is what hooks me in. And I can talk to you for hours and I'll be your friend forever, dude, for that very reason. And I would have no problem partnering with you, working with you in any sort of capacity or helping whatever for that reason. That's what I'm looking for. That's what I would like to persuade more people to be like is to just be fucking real, man. And I think that's the way to live, dude, versus compromising one's integrity and what one actually believes just to make a buck or just for career advancement. And I know the temptation is strong and I know a lot of people have families to feed and, and bills to pay and I get it. And the, the incentives are so strong um, because you'll lose your job otherwise, or, or you won't get that raise or you won't get that career advancement. I get it. But if, if people can at least make a little bit of an improvement and not compromise so much, um, I think that would help. Yeah, man, it's possible, man. Uh, and, and thank you, man, as always. And no, man, you know, you know, I, I really appreciate your words, man. You guys have been, like I said, for me, from my education, but also like finding a, a kindred spirit. You know, the funny thing is, is that I found out about you through a parent uh, of mine that was in our club. And he's like, hey, Kemp, they say similar things like you. You got to check out the the blog, you know? So I was like, all right, let me read this. And then when I read it and I saw the video. I was like, whoa, 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 hey, who's these guys, you know? So it's, it, you know, you, you find the, the right people at the right time. And I think uh, Step by step, we all keep building. We all keep moving and, and looking forward to what, what we could do together. And we're not going to stop. I don't care how much they, they beat me up. Hey, let's keep going, man. All about it. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches. You can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level, and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. 
Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. Lastly, if you're coaching 7v7, we've got you covered there as well. Go to 7v7coaching.com. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.